Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through And thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, the part of the conservative conversation. And well, here we are. Uh, I'm telling you, that song, almost done on every night I have the show, has some kind of uh, meaning uh, to the episode. Almost bar none. I mean, all of them. Uh, you know, in some way or another. That's why I've been using that song two years. I mean, two, huh, seven years. And I've never changed it, never. Uh, and I don't think I, I, I ever will. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's succinctly for what I'm saying. I do see callers in, uh, on the line, push the one and the number dial. We'll get you to the show. Um, I also see that, um, you know, I'll, I'll get you in uh, by a little uh, opening here. We're, we're, we're slotted to have uh, Daniel Burke on again. So looking forward uh, out there uh, to having him uh, back in the show. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get him called in or chimed in. Uh, soon, and I do see Joseph already wants to chime in. We'll get you in, but I, t- I tell you what, the when I mean shoulder to shoulder is, I mean there, there's going to be a time for politics, 
and we're always going to you know get political here because it's right Bard's Lodge political talk. Uh, but I spend a lot of time you know on on Twitter and not as much on Facebook and, and paying attention to the news because that's what I do for the show, right? And it's it's time for the partisanship to stop. I mean, I know there's a lot of the Democrats, both in the leadership and both in you know the Democrat. I hate I hate the term rank and file, but you, when you say that, you know what people are talking about. But I, I hate that term, you know, you know. But I, I like to say, you know, Democrat affiliates, you know. So and of course, then there's the media, and, and they're still, still trying to make this political. They're still time to trying to blame Trump. You know, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, and, and we'll probably discuss these later on with where we're at with the coronavirus. You know, where the Obama administration was that in 2000, you know, and nine, 2010, uh, with the, the H1N1, the flu. I mean, I mean, he didn't call, he didn't call a national emergency until six months later when a thousand Americans, you know, died. And, and right now, you know, we've been at this for maybe about a month now. So 97 people have died and we'll see how that, you know, goes as, Numbers seem to be exponentially uh, going up, you know, but we'll, we'll see how it pans out. I mean, there's been a lot of lockdowns. I know, you know, my daughter's home, you know, is, is doing school from home and, and I'm not starting tomorrow. I'm doing work from home. Who knows for how long? Uh, but I, I, I am glad to see that, you know, there's people still out there shopping. There's people still out there, uh, you know, going to restaurants, which they can't now here in Ohio, they can't, eat in they can't dine in but you still do carry out and you know drive through and delivery too so we we still have that uh so that's uh that's good it's good that we'll, we'll we'll we still have you know people doing that you know work in the economy i mean still doing grocery shop we we finally actually were able to pick up some paper towels and toilet paper today which i mean i kind of get it but i kind of don't uh but anyway uh so we'll have you know daniel on I, at this point i don't see him on the line um, I do see you know, Skype callers. Uh, so, Dan, if you're out there and you called in Skype or other number, you see other numbers, and uh, you're ready to chime in, just push the one and the number dial. I'll get you in uh, to the show. And if it's Skype, I, I, and I have a number of them, I, I, don't, I can't really see <laughs> uh, the number of, or if that's that uh, you're calling in. And so I do see uh, one crop up, so I believe that may be uh, Daniel. And so let me go ahead, and I believe we've got him uh, on the line, and then Joseph, of course, we will. Uh, get you in, uh, but let's go ahead, and I believe we've got uh, Daniel on the line. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel, for coming to the show again. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's been a couple of weeks uh, since you've been on, and well, what about, you know, what about the development since then? Um, well, my view is that we're in the midst of a conjunctural crisis, one that doesn't have, uh, a, you know, this feature or that feature. In other words, it's not um, a public health crisis merely. It's not a financial crisis merely. It's not a strategic crisis merely. It's all of them at once. And the most important thing we can do right now is to have a certain calm investigation of what are the flawed axioms that brought us here and what is it that we need to change in how we think in order to get out of the crisis? 
Well, definitely, definitely be calm. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, panic out there and, and I hate to I hate to say it, but I think if the numbers start to, uh, to increase, we're going to unfortunately see more of that, but go ahead. Well, I think you're right. Um, that's, that's certainly a threat. Uh, but I see that you have a strong potential to move in the right direction. And my view is that what's most important is that uh, certain of the insights that Lyndon LaRouche uh, contributed to humanity be uh, brought to bear right now, because he very clearly forecast that this would happen. In 1973, he, he issued his first forecast that the uh, that the that the policy of speculative economy that took over since 1971, when the Bretton Woods system was dismantled, and we had a uh, elimination of the fixed exchange rates, which prevented people from gambling on the price of money. When that went down, and when we went into a, a, a policy of austerity and disintegration of the productive capabilities of the economy, LaRouche said, this is going to lead to global pandemics. And then once again in 1985, he made extremely explicit how this kind of thing would happen, and then many times after that, that essentially what we've been doing as a society over the past 40 to 50 years is that we have been uh, intentionally, well, not that the American people want it, but that the uh, there are efforts to intentionally reduce the potential of the of the economy to support the population, and so and there has been a thinking that oh well we could just you know shut down industry in the name of environmentalism that we can just gradually reduce the capabilities of the United States and that this was by you know for example globalization uh, and that we could hand everything over in terms of real profits to the speculators through things like free trade and uh, and through Wall Street bailouts and money printing, uh, through the elimination of Glass-Steagall in 1999. The idea is that we could just sort of live in this fantasy world in which real value was, uh, you know, el eliminated as uh, from the Hamiltonian scientific concept. And instead what was introduced was uh, a completely fictitious uh, system, financial system that dis didn't represent anything about the physical economy, but instead has been looting the economy. And so that's why you see things like the reduction. We're down from about uh, uh, 1.5 million, uh, million hospital beds in 1975. Now we're down to 931,000 hospital beds today in uh, in 2020. And what we're looking at is a grave crisis on that basis. But what's happening, uh, I have to be very clear, is something that requires emergency action. And what Mr. LaRouche laid out in 2014 and in other cases is absolutely required today. The financial system is going through total spasms as the bankruptcy of it has been exposed. It's not that the virus caused it, but rather that the uh, disruption in the physical economy has exposed it. Uh, exposed and, and can I interject real quick? Uh, mm -hmm. but can I interject real quick, Daniel? Because uh, I, wa I want to bring this up because I've been hearing this from a lot of people. Uh, and, and, you know, on the right and, and on, the, on the left, and, and I want to get your take on it, mm -hmm. is that a lot are saying, well, this is just a, this is 
what's happening to the stock market right now, uh, and there's two things I want to bring up. Uh, one is, and, and we'll bring the second point up, you know, later on uh, in your discussion. But one, the one I want to bring up now and, and ask you now is, you know, there's someone saying, well, this is just, you know, this is just a correction that was on its way maybe within a year. It was, it was going to be here anyway, and this is just a correction. Uh, but the coronavirus just kind of expedited, you know, the correction that was already coming. I mean, what would you, you know, what would you say to people? I mean, continue on with what you, where you're going, your thoughts. But I do want, also want to ask, you know, what your thoughts are and what would you say to people who are saying, well, this is just a correction that was already coming? Um, well, it's the true that the, that the stock market was massively overvalued. And the reason for that is quite obvious. Many people recognize that. It's that we've had enormous stock buybacks happening. So a tremendous amount of the cheap debt that was cheap because of the lowered interest rates since 2008 had, was piled on by these uh, global uh, or you know multinational firms based in the United States. Um, they brought it in um, and they used it for buybacks it on stocks. And so they drove up the bubble in the stock market while absolutely contributing nothing to increases in productivity you know, in terms of their firm. They weren't actually, like, building new factories. They were just throwing their money into the casino because the casino was spitting out profits, right, or, or that or it appeared to be doing so financially. Um, and so it is true that the, that the, you know, stock market was a bubble, is, continues to be a bubble. But I would say that this is uh, far more serious than some kind of a correction because that implies that things are just going to sort of, uh, you know, rebound and get better. And people are saying, you know, let, buy cheap, buy cheap, everything's going to work out. Well, there's a lot more serious problem than that, which is that as the virus makes its way around the world, it's shutting down economies everywhere. And so the idea that somehow this is a national crisis where we're going to like recover the U.S. economy, we're going to get up, we're going to get past the virus, and then we're going to just, you know, explode out of it and re restore the kind of uh, direction that we were going in, that just doesn't hold water. Because take a look at what's happening. You know, where are we going to get demand for our products if we follow this present paradigm? I'm not. I'm not saying that that's how it has to be. We're fighting for a new and better paradigm. But you're looking at. You're facing up to a world depression right now. Well, let's hope uh, you know certainly don't come to that. So let's say that you know things go you know status quo and and, and they do and, and they do come back using the same systems. Maybe to just fall back down. You know, in, in the articles that you know I read and, and folks, uh, you can get these uh, articles, the links to them uh, on the Blog Talk Radios on the Bart's Logic uh, site here. Uh, you'll be able to access these articles, but. And, and a lot of them have said some of the same things, but, you know, one of the things, you know, they're talking about is, you know, a, the new international credit system uh, that, you know, is talking more about a new, um, yeah. you know, a system there. So let, let's go more about that. And if that would, if that could be a better route to bring the economy back, let's say within the next you know year or so. Oh, I think we can do things very rapidly. I mean, once we face up to the reality that we're, of what we're dealing with, I think we could do things very rapidly that need to be done. Because the essential point, and what I'm fighting for in my Senate campaign, is an idea that in 
if you get together the prob the problem the whole the whole process that I was describing of the past fifty years, which everyone knows this is what's been going on since Kennedy was shot, you know, the decline in the culture, the decline in, in, in the American capability of doing anything but waging stupid imperial wars that kill our own soldiers and millions of people abroad and you know, and all this kind of crap that we've been doing. We uh, without it, you know, only only recently did we decide to go back to the moon after 50 years, and that's one of the best things that we're doing uh, under President Trump. It's something we have to. But basically, the reason that this has been going on is that we've had a British Empire sitting on our heads. That is to say, we've had a global financial oligarchy run out of the city of London with friends in Wall Street, and these are outright fascists. And they've been executing policies. This is what Trump calls the globalists. I'm not sure that he has a full understanding of it, but I think he's growing to understand that. And uh, these guys have been committing uh, finance, you know, murder with a stroke of a pen, financial genocide for a very long time, using you know control over world credit systems like um, you know world uh, uh, banking institutions like the World Bank, like the IMF. And the markets, vast, vast amount of the um, trade and currency goes through London, not through the United States, not through Wall Street, goes through London. They've used that capability to prevent countries from having economic development because they have a view of the world that a handful of people should run things and everyone else should go to hell. And these are people who are explicitly like, um, you know, Prince Philip and others saying that we need to reduce the world's population down to one billion or less. Prince Philip famously said, infamously said, that if he could be reincarnated, he would want to come back as a deadly virus to help with the problem of, of overpopulation. You know, so there's people who believe that humanity is a pest that should be exterminated, that we should cull the herd. Now, the point that we're making in terms of a new credit system is that those bastards shouldn't run the monetary system in the world because they're out to kill everybody. So what you want to do is get the United States, Russia, China, India. Those are the four most important powers in the whole world. And then many other countries working with them, including Japan, including all of other types of countries. And you have to bring those people together, but that's the core. And you have to say, all right, you're a sovereign nation. I'm a sovereign nation. I'm going to respect your, you. You're going to respect me. Uh, this virus has made pretty damn clear that everyone is a human, that we're all in this, you know, we're all affected by the same factors. So we all have a common interest in defeating this virus, and we all have a common interest in actually rebuilding the world economy. Because if we don't do that, then no country is going to be able to succeed. And then you initiate certain agreements that we're going to go back to fixed exchange rates. Well, we're going to say your currency and my currency, they're only going to vary a certain amount, a relatively tight band of variation. And we're going to do that by agreement, and we're all going to agree that this is the way we're going to set things up. And then those things can be you know, negotiated and so forth. But we're going to set that up because that allows long-term credit to be allocated for things like major infrastructure projects that need to be built presently. If you want to get drive demand, you got to put people to work on huge projects, huge scientific initiatives. you got to put the whole thing going. And that means we're going to have to be able to guarantee that 
you know, if if I agree to a uh, a line of credit where I'm going to owe so many hundreds of billions of dollars, then or tens of billions of dollars or whatever it may be, then I'm going to have to understand that my currency is not going to plummet in value all of a sudden and cause me to owe, you know, a hundred times more, which is what happened to countries like Mexico. It happened to countries, you know, like Argentina uh, and many other countries across the world in the in the floating exchange system that we've been living under since 1971. Is that you borrow something, and then all of a sudden the banker says, "Oh, by the way, not only do you owe interest on this, but your your currency is now worth a quarter of what it was, so you owe us four times as much." And that's the kind of problem that we've been living under. We got to scrap that, make this new system. And then you've got to get every country to initiate their own capabilities to emit their own sovereign credit. Every country should have sovereign control over their economy. They should not depend on the banksters in London and Wall Street for their credit because that has been a recipe for poverty and disease. So they have to have some control over their own ability to put out their own credit, and you use that to initiate you know, broad uh, infrastructure, global infrastructure projects, as well as uh, scientific pro- uh, projects that benefit everyone. And that's how you're going to create new demand, and that's how you're going to drive new technology that's going to increase production and that's going to rescue the world from a crisis like this. And two things you mentioned uh, you know, I'd like to elaborate on. One is you, know, you talk about you know, the space program, spending funds on that, doing what Trump's doing with, you know, this coronavirus and talking about, you know, uh, private, public-private partnerships. Now, one of the things with, you know, you're here is big, and, you know, they're giving money to people, they're giving money to businesses, they're giving money all over the place. And so some, some I agree with, some I don't. But one of the things I think is going to be a hard sell is and, and I think this has been a hard sell for the past 50 years. And you mentioned one of the reasons why we haven't been back to the moon in, in 50 years. I think it's money's part of it is that with all this stuff going on and all these people clamoring for the government to give small businesses, for the government to give individuals, you know, like uh, expanding uh, you know, unemployment, you know, or just giving people like a thousand dollars a month for a while until this is coming out. Thank you, uh, Yang. No, but, you know, saying so when, when people are talking about this and this is on the forefront and they all think that's a good idea, how can we, you know, tell the folks like, you know, hey, it's actually a good thing for us to put money towards these, tech, these space technologies, you know, when people are just clamoring for us to just, you know, again, in, increase welfare, increase, excuse me, unemployment yeah. uh, benefits, things of that nature. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. I mean, we are going to need to provide some relief, to, uh, significant relief to the population, but money is not really what they need. Although, people, you know, we're going to, I think the, the foreclosure moratorium is extremely important and the eviction moratorium extremely important. You can't just throw people out of their homes when they're not allowed to work by government edict, you know, and by appropriate uh, edict because it's a public health measure we absolutely need. Um, but, yeah, so you have to create some means by which people can – you know, continue to survive and live. Otherwise, you're going to have food and rent riots, uh, and uh, Trump is not going to let that happen, I think, but it's really a threat. Um, but the real issue 
as my friend Paul Gallagher has pointed out, is that you need increases in demand because there's no one is going to you're going to come out of the of the of the of you know several uh, a couple of months perhaps of quarantine more or less of lockdown process more or less um, maybe it's going to be less we hope but maybe not maybe it's going to be more and we're going to come out of that and you're going to try to restart a bunch of the factories because you know all of the auto factories are shut down right now and uh, and then you know there's not going to be anyone buying the cars. So what are you going to do? You know, and if we depend upon the Federal Reserve right now, what is the Federal Reserve doing? They're printing money to go into speculative activity. They're emitting $700 you know, billion of QE last week. $1.5 trillion of helicopter money was announced. And they're talking about the Fed buying common stock. They're talking about totally outrageous things that amount to hyperinflationary policies. And they're going to bring about hyperinflation if you allow them to. So instead, we should do what was done in 1933 when Franklin Roosevelt took the Reconstruction Finance Corporation, which had been established under Hoover, and he turned it into a major lending institution. This is the idea of instead of having a central bank run by these Malthusian bastards, monetarist Nazis, which is who run, you know, that's the kind of thinking that runs our central bank and the central banks of Europe and Japan. Uh, whether or not these people realize that they're acting like Nazis, that's the effect of their policies. And instead of that, you need a national bank. You need sovereign control over the banking system in which we would have this Re Reconstruction Finance Corporation, for example, uh, and we would – this is completely uh, under control of Article uh, 2, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, the ability of the, – the fact that the United States government is supposed to have total monopoly over the creation and issue of legal currency. That's, that's what's the constitutional principle, not this completely unconstitutional Fed. You take that principle, you implement it like Alexander Hamilton wanted us to and like we did under that FDR presidency, and we're going to extend trillions of dollars to infrastructure, to public works, to scientific achievements. I mean, we're talking about a high-speed rail system in the United States, you know, to agriculture, to develop, actually create, you know, support our family farmers who are going absolutely bankrupt right now. And go further than that, not by giving them money, but by creating new projects of development and infrastructure that allow, you know, greater opportunities that didn't exist before. So that's really what we're talking about presently, uh, that this is a capability that Trump can implement. And I'll put it a fine point, I mean, not a fine point exactly, but I'll put a point on it from what happened today. Did you catch that Trump is talking about a, uh, you know, he announced that he's going ahead with the Defense Production Act. Right. This So the idea is basically in wartime conditions, the U.S. productive capability cannot be limited merely to, you know, whatever like the free market says should be available because they're not going to be able to, they're not, the free market doesn't respond to reality. And so you're not going to have 
uh, the number of surgical masks and ventilators that you need. Right? So he's saying, look, I'm going to take the powers of the United States presidency, which are quite ample, in a national emergency, and I'm going to step in and I'm going to make sure that we're producing what we need to produce. That's the same idea here, except with the banking system. You know, we've got to step in and address the fact that this banking system is completely out of control right now. We've got to go with something like a banking holiday. We've got to actually shut down the banking system until it can be reorganized. And it's going to be reorganized underneath, under the principle that what's good is something that's physical, that deals with the real economy. And we're going to defend that, that there's a constitutional requirement that the U.S. government defend that for the general welfare. And what's speculative, we're going to initiate a process of hiving it off and getting rid of it. All of the casino economy worthless derivatives that have nothing to do with American jobs and manufacturing, you're going to just say, no, we're not going to bail this out. And that's the basic principle that we're pursuing. And before I move to actually my second question, I was going to do it. You're, you know, what you said there opened up another thing I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up because uh, a lot of folks I don't think are as familiar with it. Uh, the articles, because, you know, when people access them or read them, then it'd be great, good for them to have, uh, you know, some background before they read it. Is, uh, the articles, I think maybe even all three of them, or at least two of them, mention, you know, a new uh, Bretton Woods. Uh, so if, if you could elaborate on that, you know, give some background and elaborate on that. But if they go and, and read those articles, they'll, they'll have that background on it. Um, well, in, uh, in the midst of World War II, uh, and as we were <clears throat> headed in the direction of victory, there was a conference that was organized in uh, New Hampshire, and uh, it was of all of the Allied nations. Uh, and the idea was to actually come together and determine the post-war order. People talk a lot about the post-war order, you know, the post-World War II order. Well, this was a conference in which they sat down and they said, all right, first of all, what is the purpose of, you know, the world economic system? And there were some people who stepped in and said, and Franklin Roosevelt was one of them and uh, through his representatives, Uh, who said the purpose of the world economic system is to provide for economic development for every country that desires it, that that pursues it, to create a platform such that every country can participate in that and reap the benefits for themselves. And so that was the place where we initiated, in particular, the fixed exchange rate system, as I described earlier, where we said, okay, because we don't want for one country to be able to put the other country under, you know, under its thumb by means of manipulating the currency of the other country. Therefore, we're going to make a system where that's impossible to happen. And, uh, or really to put it more, more aptly, because we don't want a financial oligarchy like the British Empire to control a country through manipulating its currency. And so, you know, to put it in relief today, because since 1971, we haven't had that system, George Soros exists, who's a person who made his billions by speculating on the price of money. And of course, the way that they did that was that they intentionally shorted currencies 
or all types of things to try to drive down and destroy currency and then make a bunch of money off of it. And that happened many times, as people may be familiar with, uh, over the years, not just by Soros, but by many other efforts as well. So that was the system set up in 1944, and it included the idea of the dollar as the world reserve currency, and that we would uh, use the dollar as sort of a standard by which we could settle accounts. And uh, that system was gradually eroded in the city by the city of London because what what happened was that there started to be dollar dollars were created out of thin air in London in the so-called euro dollar market where country where basically a, a, a process of speculating on dollars was initiated against the uh, Bretton Woods system itself and what happened was that in, uh, in 1971, Nixon pulled the plug. Uh, we got rid of the fixed exchange, exchange rate system. We went to floating exchange rate. Uh, the claim was that this was going to be good for, uh, you know, good for the for the world economy because the free market would be better at actually finding the appropriate price point for all of these currencies, the appropriate exchange rate for all of these currencies. And the result was that the big speculators took power. And we have not gained it back since then. Because since then, it's been, you know, just enormous efforts have been made uh, to prevent the United States and every other country in the world from being able to increase their industrial might, their, you know, their self-sufficiency, their food self-sufficiency, uh, those were things that were guaranteed under the Bretton Woods system, that where there was an intention to make sure that that succeeded. So not everything about Bretton Woods was perfect, but these were features that were really critical, that there was, some, there was a stability and a, an agreement that we would ensure a platform for every country to have economic development. And one of the things that, you know, the Lurs Pack uh, really, you know, promotes is, you know, the cooperative working between nations, especially, you know, the United States, China, Russia, and India. Now, with the relationship being what it is with with Russia and all the accusations, how they're meddling in our, uh, you know, our elections, and then now they're trying, you know, either rightfully so or not, you know, there are politicians out there who want to point the finger at China, say, hey, we wouldn't be in this mess if it was for China, if they would have been more forthcoming and then you know you hear reports of you know them you know quieting journalists over there and, and maybe even you know killing people off who have information and you know you hear all those type of reports you know that really put china in a, a very negative light so with that being said with you know that kind of atmosphere you know being out there i mean how can we you know reconcile with what the media is saying, you know, about China. And then there's some like in those articles are saying, you know, how they're actually working towards, you know, uh, you know, lessening the pandemic there. Uh, and, you know, one of the quotes is, you know, they sacrificed economic activity and other parameters to save human life. Uh, so uh, after, after all these things being reported, uh, that the Chinese, you know, and how they haven't informed the world and things of that nature, uh, so how can that cooperative 
even be successful with those kind of uh, things being touted, uh, you know, by politicians in the media? Uh, I, I thank you for that question. Uh, presently, we're engaged in an investigation to identify where this kind of, why, how did this operation really come together? But we've been pursuing it for a long time. I mean, you, George Soros says his two most hated men in the world for him are Donald Trump and Xi Jinping. And if you look at it from the standpoint of the British Empire, then you get it, right? Effectively, their goal is divide and conquer. And any motion in the direction of cooperation between countries will be motion in the direction of a system that guarantees economic development for countries or the potential for that. And that system is one in which the British Empire doesn't exist. Because why would we allow this speculative cancer on the world to continue, uh, given the chance to reset things, which is what we've been given right now? So there's a major, major effort to try to get people to go back to their basic assumptions that they've had since the Cold War. But when you're in a crisis that changes all of the universe, all of humanity, which is what's happening now, everything in our lives has changed completely in a matter of hours and days then you have to change your axioms. You have to actually be able to think creatively and come up with something that will work. Now, uh, first of all, the, the essential, you know, the basic claims that you see floating around, uh, or not floating around, but rather in a concerted effort coming together, I think most of them come from Steve Bannon, sloppy Steve Bannon, who has a very close relationship to synergist bankers in Europe who absolutely have this view of the world. And he's a pot, he's a, he paints himself as this right-wing populist who you know, is actually you know, completely in line with Trump, but he's not at all because Trump has throughout his presidency said that a good relationship with Russia and China is a good thing. And Trump has throughout his presidency uh, praised Xi Jinping. And even in his public stamp, state statements recently, like two days ago at the coronavirus task force meeting, and then again today, he has praised China and his team, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, have praised China's efforts and the fact that there is cooperation. So the, peop- the, the problem is that you have an, oper- an operation much like Russiagate, which was run by the British, by MI6, Christopher Steele, for example. You have an operation to try to create a certain type of a hatred and fear uh, that can only lead to chaos when what we need is clarity about how we're going to save human lives. And I do think that that is something that if people can just reflect for a moment on the fact that China took at least a 20% hit in their economy and possibly much more in order to stop the virus, that they put human, rescuing human lives first, it really puts the lie to the whole claim about the completely, you know, uh, heartless Communist Party of China. In fact, I don't really think that the Communist Party of China is particularly communist. I think that they are uh, they're Confucian primarily. And a lot of the things that they're doing, because there's been a revival of their great traditions going back 5,000 years, well, really 3,500 years, or 20, excuse me, 2,500 years to Confucius, uh, go, there's a revival of those traditions which could be, you know, is pretty clear because if you look at any of the efforts that they've been implementing, they just paved the last road, the last town without paved roads about two years ago. They brought electricity to every town in, in China just 
maybe four or five years ago. And they also have the most high-speed rail in the world in their own country, more than the rest of the world combined. Now, those are things that you do if you care about your population. They're moving now. They're being very clear that they're out to end all extreme poverty in China by the end of this year. And they're saying, we're going to do that even despite even despite the coronavirus destruction of our economy. So the idea that, that like, that what we should be concerned about right now is blaming China is and, and, and you know, coming up with harebrained schemes about how we're going to get reparations from them, which is ridiculous, or punish them, which is totally ridiculous. It, it's just absolutely an effort to crush what Trump has been doing. But Trump's the one who got the China deal which required cooperation between both powers, both, both powers, both the United States and China say this is good for both of us. That's profound. That's beautiful. And that, when Tom Cotton says we should punish them, what he's talking about is dismantling the trade deal, you know, on, 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 on behalf of preventing any further work, that cooperative work happening. So that's what, really what I think is going on. And I think that Trump has to be really careful. I just talked to a Chinese American today who is com- terribly upset. She's she I met her at the Trump rallies. She's a total Trump supporter. She's a she's a supporter of ours as well and a supporter of my Senate campaign. But she's a total Trump supporter. She I I saw her again recently at the GOP convention in New Jersey and uh a state GOP convention. And she's there. She's part of that effort. She tried to convince me to run as a Republican. Of course I'm running as an independent. And she she is really hurt about the fact that he's saying China virus because that he's that he's going you know doing that. Now I don't think that that's something that he deserves a lot of blame for, but I'm saying because he's within a system where you've got Democrats and Republicans being tricked by this Malthusian crowd at the top into thinking that our enemy is other sovereign nations, when it's clear that our enemy are those bastards in London and Wall Street who set us up for this, who created the bubble that is now bursting. If we didn't have this huge bubble, then we would be in a much better condition to address this. And we knew the pandemic was coming. You know, there have been, report, there have been efforts to, uh, uh, to, to discuss this danger for a long time. We knew it was coming, uh, and, it, and yet here it is, and we weren't prepared. So I think that we have to like really consider who our enemy is. And my my view is that it's Prince Philip. It's not Xi Jinping. It's Prince Philip and that whole crowd that represents this view of man that says we should kill off the weak and 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 you know and kill off the old and the sick. Whereas the Chinese say we're going to save every life, even if it means that we're going to destroy our economy. And I think that Trump is taking an approach that's similar. He's very much emphatic. We're out to save human lives. You were out to save human lives. And because his intention matches up with the one that I'm telling you exists in China, then I think there's a very optimistic potential for these guys to come together. Because really, if we're going to make this kind of thing work, we need a summit. If we're going to rescue humanity, you need a summit, a video summit, of course, between Russia, China, the United States, India and other countries, but particularly them, because let me pose it to you this way. The virus is striking Africa right now. 
and there's a new uh, there's a, there's a rumor that's going around in many parts of Africa, which is that you can get rid of the virus by drinking water every 15 minutes. So this is a completely you know unscientific view that's being promulgated in populations that have a low literacy rate relatively, and it is the kind of thing that just gives you a hint that when this gets moving in really poor, underdeveloped areas, it's going to cause enormous human suffering beyond belief. And what are we going to do? Are we going to like be pointing our finger at China and have China be pointing their finger back at us? I don't think that to some extent some of that is happening. Uh, but I think generally, you know, well, anyway, if we're going to do that, are we going to help Nigeria? You know, what are we going to do with our time? Are we going to, are we going to let them die and just say, well, that's just, you know, that was their own fault. Because that's the least Christian thing that we could possibly do. And it's the great moral test today as to whether we will overcome this kind of phobia of China and Russia and figure out how we can cooperate to address what is absolutely a global crisis. And three, and three things, yeah, I do got some callers who want, who, who want to talk to you. Three things. One is uh, this, this past Monday we're on a uh, a conference call, and, you know, and, and folks, I mean, you know, if you can, if you can go there, I mean, I was going to see, Dan, if you want me to give them the number uh, while we're on the line uh, to that conference call uh, with the LaRouche Pack uh, tomorrow night. It's, uh, I believe it's at 9 p.m. Unfortunately, I won't be able to make it because that, that's my, my late, of course, it's my late night where I work and my, where I actually make money, <laughs> my day job, so to speak. It's just it's my, my late night uh, to do it. So unfortunately, I mean, I might be able to make a tailwind if I can get out of work on time to do it, but I wanted to take this time to, to give that number out, uh, if I may. Definitely. Definitely. Thank uh, you very, very much. No, you're welcome. First, though, yeah, I do highly recommend, folks, uh, whether you're uh, longtime listeners on the show, longtime callers or, or new, uh, definitely check this out. They don't want to take it back on your time. It's going to be very informative. Again, I was on a conference call, uh, you know, with the folks on, you know, Monday evening. So definitely, uh, if you can, you know, check it out. Uh, of course, it's going to be archived, but if you can be in and, and you can ask questions. I mean, I, I was able to get a question in myself uh, when I was on the conference call Monday night. So they do, you know, take people's questions. And the number to call that is area code 712 seven seven zero five five zero five and the access code is five three six 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 two and the pound sign and again that phone number is seven one two seven seven zero five five zero five with an access code of five three six six two or six six two five three six 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 two and then the pound sign that gets you in uh so, again, if you have to listen to the archive to get that number again, the archive for, for this show will be there. So definitely you know, call if you can. I think it's going to be very informative. Lot, want to get a lot of people, share those numbers uh, with people who could get on the call because, you know, we, I do want to have, uh, you know, people on there and, and, and get this information where you're probably not going to hear literally anywhere else. I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but you guys are long-time listeners. You trust me. Take, you know, Appreciate you take my word for it. That's the first thing. Second thing I, is, I'll be mean, able to get. Oh, go ahead. May I just add something real quick, Robert? Which is that the. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, no, go ahead. It's available at LaRouchePack.com, which is spelled L A R O U C H E P A C. At LaRouchePack.com is where 
uh, you could access the archive or you could listen live on YouTube if uh, if you would you know if you'd like to do it that way. But I can really uh, uh, second um, that recommendation and say that especially if people get on and ask questions and participate, we're trying to build this up to be a thousand people on the call. Yes, yeah, so definitely checked it out. I can't remember what the second thing was. The third thing on Twitter, and just if you want to answer to this, what I've seen on Twitter, and then I'm going to bring in uh, you know, a couple of callers. Uh, it's like, oh, wow, we've got a bunch of them. Um, so we've got uh, – you know, first we're going to bring in Joseph. Uh, he's there in Hawaii. Then we have uh, Suzette and Kelly. Uh, those will be our top three there that are in uh, – Kelly and Suzette, they're in California. So we'll get to them. But second, she says – this lady, uh, she says, so I've been through two of these pandemics, and she has t pandemic in parentheses, situations as a healthcare worker, the H1N1, swine flu, and bird flu, 2006. And the swine flu, I believe, was 2009, 2010. She goes, the numbers for the coronavirus don't match the shutdown and panic level. Either we're being lied to and, and this got away from them or something much bigger is going on. So basically she's saying, look, and I've been saying this for a while, we'll see how there's more testing and things like that, but the, 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 the shutdown and all, all this, you know, economic uh, wherewithal that's going on, I, I just don't think it matches the numbers. Again, again, either unless it's much more serious than, and she said, and, they, and it got away from it a lot too, or there's something much bigger going on. And I'm, I'm more on the latter. I, well, I think it's kind of a mix of both, really. Maybe more so uh, to the latter that something else is going on. I think to the level, I think the Trump administration is pretty much doing everything they have to because their hand, they, yes, they're trying to protect folks, to protect lives. But I think some of the things, their hands have been kind of forced uh, by, you know, the media propaganda about this. And, of course, they're trying to make it look like you know, Trump's fault. But uh, real quick, before I bring those uh, callers in, uh, do you want to answer that, or do you have a, a take yeah, on that, yeah, Daniel? Sure. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I have studied this very carefully. I can tell you that if you are at all, um, um, you know, questioning just how legitimate these lockdowns are, take a look at Italy. Really carefully read what's being written from people who are in Italy. For example, Newt Gingrich, with whom I don't agree with on a lot of things, but who is, a, you know, at least someone who is uh, speaking from a position of uh, trust that the American people have put in with him for many years, he's trapped in Italy right now. And he did an op-ed in, uh, in Time Magazine, which you can read, in which he describes the conditions that, uh, in addition, you can go on the LaRouche Pack website and you can watch an interview with Liliana Gorini, who is the LaRouche representative in Italy, and she lives in Milan, I believe, and she's been on lockdown for some weeks. What she's describing is that people are giving personal contributions to the hospitals because there's a grave shortage of, hosp of, of adequate materials, uh, of, you know, of supplies from, uh, of all types, and that essentially... Uh, the, these health systems that we have, they have been downgraded so much uh, uh, over the past decades, are absolutely not prepared for the degree of, uh, of, uh, of usage of the health care system that we're about to see. So just today, Trump sent a U.S. Navy hospital boat to, uh, to, uh, to um, uh, New York 
to provide. Yeah, he sent out two boats, yeah, one in California, go ahead. Yes, exactly. And uh, uh, I th let me put, uh, I'll just leave it at this. Uh, you're going to see in the next week whether this is really going to over, you know, how much of a burden we're going to start getting on the healthcare system. So if you don't believe it right now, well, take a look in another week and then, you know, and then you can uh, ask yourself the same question because the the rate at which this is traveling is extremely fast and the death rate is, you know, at least 10 times greater than the seasonal flu. And well, uh, no, I've got some things I'll yeah, add on later on that uh, with you know, percentages and numbers. And I do have an article, and I'm going to bring in Joseph after this uh, snippet. And I do have an article from the Bard's Logic uh, website, the, the newsroom, at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the Bard's Logic newsroom, and I'll get to this article later. Um, it is a, actually an article that in Newsweek, it's an opinion article, uh, that Newt Gingrich did write uh, here. It says, I'm, the title, I'm not going to read the article right now, but maybe later. So, I am in Italy amid the corona crisis, um, coronavirus crisis. America must act now and act big. And that's the article, you know, hopefully we'll get to tonight. And you may or may not know, but, you know, people might be wondering, well, why is Newt uh, over there in, uh, in Italy? And his wife is actually the ambassador to the Vatican. And so I think when all this stuff broke out and they went, I'm, this is total speculation on my part, is maybe it is like, yeah, you're not leaving. Um, and so he's, I, I think, as I said, I, this is this is the first-hand knowledge or anything, not even an article or anything I've heard or read, but I think he's probably over there because his wife's there, right, as the you know, ambassador to, to the Vatican. Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and uh, <clears throat> I've been batting a little bit of a cold myself. But anyway, it's on the tail end, so I'm, I'm fine. But anyway, let's go ahead and, uh, and bring in Joseph. And, and Joseph has, you know, kind of at least for, for any of us else on the call, a unique perspective. He's calling from Hawaii, of course, as we know, is, is an island. So, that, you know, they're, they're in more, I wouldn't say quarantine, but they definitely don't have as many places to go, I guess you could say, as, as us here uh, in the mainland. But let's go ahead and uh, welcome Joseph. Thank you very much, Joseph. Good to How are you? Uh... Could be better. Could be better. Thank you for allowing me to call in. I'm sorry I had an emergency, so I had to uh, take a a quick detour uh, out of the show. But well, I hope uh, it went okay. Uh, it didn't go too bad. Uh, I just got the call today, and uh, the place where I work is going to be shut down for 15 days. So uh, I'll be losing work for about 15 days. Um, just got the call a few hours ago. Uh, the mayor and the governor has issued a mandate for all restaurants, bars, clubs uh, to completely shut down. And uh, only fast food restaurants are allowed to do dine, uh, do takeout, not dine in. If you walk outside Waikiki right now, you would never imagine in a million years you were in Waikiki. It looks like a ghost town. Um it's never looked like this before in the history since Waikiki has become Waikiki. What many people don't know is that back in the 1920s, Waikiki was all uh, water and uh, marshland. There was nothing in Waikiki. And what they did was they built a canal and uh, sewer pipes and drains, and they had to drain out all the water. So Waikiki was submerged pretty much in water. Uh, Nothing else existed. 
uh, and it took him about till the 1950s to get rid of all that water and marshland and start building Waikiki as the uh, heart and soul of tourism for Oahu. Um, and that's when they started building uh, the uh, high-rises and the hotels and the restaurants. And so um, out of any other time in history since Waikiki actually became a place that was habitable with, with buildings and sidewalks, uh, this is the emptiest it has ever been. Even so, uh, after 9-11, uh, even so after the great uh, economic crash in 08, it's never been this empty. But then again, you've never had um, mayors or governors that have issued a mandate uh, of this magnitude. And uh, I'm finding that, and believe me, I mean it with all sincerity, I am not politicizing this in any way, shape, or form. But it is more so in liberal states, in blue states, than it is in red states where um, progressive or liberal or democratic, however you may call it, governors and mayors, they're the ones that are making these draft measure calls uh, versus um, you know, the governor of Texas that's not taking these extreme measures and other governors of other uh, red states that are taking – measures, but not, not this extreme and not to the point where it's going to uh, hinder the economy any further. So um, I defer back to you, Robert. It's uh, a really sad day. Yeah, I'm sorry uh, you're dealing with all that there. You know I mean? I, I, and I know you just kind of uh, started there not that long, you know, wherever you're working, not that long ago. So hopefully, you know, things pick up. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, as I stated earlier here in Ohio, they did the same thing with uh, with restaurants and bars, you can't do, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we can get restaurant food because I mean, that's pretty much what I eat for dinner practically on a nightly basis is <laughs> restaurant food. Um, so I've got some stock up of non-restaurant stuff and probably do more, but depending on how long this thing, uh, goes, but, but we're going to bring in, uh, Suzette and then Kelly, but first, uh, Daniel, did you want to add on or make comment to that? And I, I don't know how long you're able to stay with us tonight. Of course, you're welcome to stay with us as long as you can. Uh, but if you want to, you know, make any comments on that, I'd be appreciated. I really appreciate that. Um, I'll just be brief, and I think I could probably stay for about another 10 or 15 minutes. But I want you to know okay. that I, I actually, I grew up in Honolulu as well, or I, I grew up in Honolulu. I was there until I was about nine years old, and my family, we moved to Texas, and I was there not that long ago. And if you think about, I mean, um, this, I, that, I, I appreciate the reverence to 9-11. Because really what we're dealing with is such an extraordinary crisis that the best of Americans has got to come forward. And we need the kind of Pearl Harbor 9-11 response where people are going to, you know, the people who, who got their boats together and brought people up from Manhattan uh, over to uh, the New Jersey side on the day of 9-11. Uh, people who just sort of mobilize out of a sense of what it means to be an American I think that's going to be vital to getting out of this. And since we only got about uh, said about ten minutes, we'll make uh, things quick for Suzette and Kelly to uh, to get some comments to them, and sorry for other folks who want to uh, chime in on that. But let's go ahead and uh, welcome Suzette. Thank you very much, Suzette. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, hello, gentlemen. Uh, my I have a question regarding um, China. 
and and the thoughts about uh, China and their position with their people and, and their economy. Now, my understanding is at one point last year, um, they had considered um, selling off um, our debt, basically, our treasury bonds, um, but they didn't do so after all. Uh, um, it was in the middle of uh, trade negotiations, and basically they were using it as leverage. Um, and so China has been, I mean, I don't consider them as friendly as, as some do. And, and that's because, yes, they're building roads and putting things in place, but it's not for the people so much as it is to dominate those countries that they're placing those things in. So, yes, it's doing both good and bad, but then when you have a surveillance state and then you have, um, you know, these hostages that they have basically, uh, you know, that are treating their, those people inhumanely, um, I, I just can't see how friendly that how friendly they really are in that sense. Um, I know right now we can't sell our treasury debt, you know, our bonds. Nobody will buy them, and that's not a good thing. There's some background to- noise. Come real quick. I'm sorry, Suzette. There's a background noise coming from someone. If they can, you know, like curtail that, that'd be great. Go ahead, Suzette. Oh, so anyway, um, so the, what I'm speaking about here is, is if nobody's going to be buying the treasury bonds, that we can either, the United States will be, go bankrupt or do what it's doing now, and that's printing money. And, you know, that's, <laughs> at the end of it all, I, I just don't see how we can actually recover um, if, with all the debt that we have, you know, and, and we can't get rid of it. Nobody's buying it, um, where the, whereas before it was, but now we've been shut down. And nobody wants to buy that debt anymore. So what are your thoughts about that? Oh, thank you, Suzette. Um, on the first half of your comments, uh, let me say that the um, there are there is an increasing rift between the United States and China. And it's certainly the case that leading people in China are coming to treat the U.S. as someone as a, as an as being excuse me as being uh, relatively um, unreasonable and not uh, not really uh, acting in a way that that makes it possible to be to cooperate. And so there is a certain cliff that we're pushing ourselves towards. Um, but let me put it uh, in, in a better sense. The, 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 the description of the Belt and Road Initiative that uh, you employed, that mm-hmm. they're using, that they're building roads and so forth to gain control, uh, I can tell you that that's exactly what The Economist says. The Economist magazine, which is the mouthpiece for the Rothschild banking interest. Well, I'm, actually, I'm actually going by the BRICS. Um, meetings that they have, their their sessions that they have when they meet, um, the, the leaders from from the BRICS, um, you know Brazil and Russia, and so when mm-hmm. they have their sessions, um, they're televised, and so you can watch them, and so um, you can see what's going on and and hear what's going on. So it's not so much. I, I don't even know that um, magazine that you're referring to. <laughs> I like to hear well, from her horse's mouth. <laughs> And then I'd have to ask you what you mean by control, because 
effectively, you know, we have had, well, essentially the French and the British have had control over Africa, for example, and they mm-hmm. continue to have that control. And then the United States has had a certain uh, enormous presence in Africa through all of our military bases. And we have been um, in every position to create uh, potential to, for those countries to build roads. And we haven't done it. And the Brits right. and the French had every reason to prevent them from doing that because they're operating on an imperialist, you know, structure there as, sure. as an empire. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the reason that we have this grave moral crisis that Africa has been completely underdeveloped for many, many, you know, for a very long time. Right, and, and China's positioned we, themselves financially. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but China no, has positioned themselves financially so that they could do that. Um, and so, you know, they've made sacrifices here and there, but and to um, to get their economy in a position to to build those roads. And so they they heavily occupy Africa and stuff. They've made uh-huh. lots of loans, um, you know, even when they shouldn't, as far as but they're banking on that money paying off. Uh, because it is from the loans and collecting on that. Um, so, I mean, that's an, that's my point of view from, from watching what they're doing. Um, I, I'm not saying they're bad people, but they're competitive people, and, and they want to be on top. Well, you're, you're basically describing what I think we should be doing in Africa, which is that we should be lending, making loans where we're going to benefit from the loans and the mm-hmm. African people are going to benefit from the loans. And I see that that's what's going on essentially in China. And the fact that China is moving into Africa is partly, you know, you can interpret that as being, as being, uh, you know, an effort to be a world hegemon, but they're not building the, the, the approach that they're taking is, um, you know, governed by the fact that they have an enormous population in China and they need to actually create demand for their mm-hmm. own services. So they have the largest construction firms in the world. The greatest logistical capability in terms of building infrastructure uh, belongs to China right now, not to the United States. And they're deploying that. And Mm -hmm. so the way that you create demand is that you issue credit that is going to actually be the basis for you being able to come in there and, you know, provide your services. And that's something that, uh, my view is that if you take a look, I mean, you mentioned the BRICS, but the BRICS, and you're saying that they're, and you know, the claim is that they're trying to sort of take over, but the BRICS includes South Africa. That's the S. Mm-hmm. And so, how can South Africa be trying to take over itself? You know, take over. It, you know, you see what I mean? No, no, no. Not South Africa take over itself, but China move into those areas and, and basically start to control all those areas. But I, I understand what you're saying, and I also understand that the United States should have done that, but they didn't. Instead, they were the bully, and they went in and they just took what they wanted. Uh, and when I say they, it's mm-hmm. because they're so-called Pentagon leaders. Um, yeah, right. You know, and their their ambitions that they have. <laughs> To go and destroy and take what they wanted, so um, so we went about it the wrong way, no doubt, no doubt. But um, well, let me I try would, to get to your... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just thinking that we should get to your second part too. Um, but please, please finish what you were saying. Oh no, no, no I, I was I didn't have anything more to add. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, not at all. Not at all. I I mean, what we're at the Larouche movement. What we're talking about is a completely new paradigm. 
and I I uh, I understand why people look with concern at other countries, particularly China, which has been rising so rapidly. And they say, well, how can we work with them? I understand why people look that think that way, but. My view is that the reason that people think that way is because we've been lulled into assumptions about the world that are totally false, like mm-hmm. the assumption of zero sum, you know, mm-hmm. the assumption that we have some kind of a game theory that we should be playing, that there, that there's that like sides and that you can win by uh, defeating another country and putting yourself up above them, essentially. And that's just not human and it's not true. And what Mr. LaRouche really contributed in his work is a vision of how mankind would redefine itself so that we could emerge from a period of geopolitics, emerge mm-hmm. from an idea of us versus them, and go to something that's more, uh, that, that's more beautiful and that's more truthful um, because mm-hmm. all human beings are created equal uh, in the living image of God. And, and therefore, it's absolutely possible for all sovereign nations to cooperate for the benefits of mankind. And that's really where, you know, the idea comes in. If you want to make the treasury debt worth something, well, first of all, we need to immediately stop printing money that's, that's, you know, backed by that that debt. Right. uh, Because that's what's been devaluing the treasury is the fact Mm -hmm. is the quantitative easing and all of this kind of thing. And once we do that with, uh, you know, and, and actually initiate, a process of hiving off the bad debt. We have to take the worthless financial paper and we need to put up a firewall between that financial paper and our own actual physical assets. You know, the mortgages and the small businesses and the infrastructure loans and all of the, you know, real physical assets in this country that relate to productivity, that relate to people, uh, to, you know, to working people's lives in particular. And mm-hmm. if we can initiate that process, then we're going to be able to protect people, protect the real economy and the citizens from the crash of the speculative bubble, and then right. initiate Hamiltonian measures. If you think back to Hamilton, mm-hmm. under Hamilton, we, were, we had an enormous, enormous debt after the Revolutionary War. It was uh, owed to... You know, to the soldiers, it was owed to private creditors, it was owed to the, you know, to to banks, and many people said, well, let's just not pay it because we're bankrupt. And Hamilton said, no, no, any debt is a boon if it carries with it the means to extinguish itself. And then he initiated the national banking system where he tied all the debts together into one, and then he sold the debt, and then what he did with that national bank was extend credit to infrastructure, to industry, to manufacturing. And he had a huge fight with Thomas Jefferson because Jefferson wanted us to be an agrarian nation. And Mm -hmm. Hamilton said, no, we have to be manufacturing. In other words, we need to increase the power of labor. We need to create a situation where one man's, the power of one man's labor increases rapidly uh, and, uh, and at, you know, higher and higher rate. And well, so that's what there's was different ways of going about it. <laughs> one wanted mm-hmm. the national, I think they just had different ways of going about it. And one wanted the national bank and the other one didn't want to get mixed up in it. And so he said, well, my view is that Jefferson wanted, a, wanted an agrarian economy because it was basically trapped by the plantation crowd. And that was what, you know, that's what the plant, agrarian economy is a slave economy. 
And mm-hmm. uh, that, that's that's my strong view in this case. But essentially, you know, there are concerns. You know, Hamilton was very careful about the way that the National Bank was put together. And he was very careful to say that you're going to have you, – you're going to create a means by which uh, there is distance from – the people in the federal government, there's a distance, but it is federally operated, and that they would actually be able to make decisions. The people there would be experts in, in, in industry, for example, and they would mm-hmm. make decisions about what credit was appropriate to extend. And this principle was executed over the course of the United States, and the Greenbacks under Abraham Lincoln were the same concept, essentially, in terms of the intention in a different mm-hmm. form. And then the Reconstruction Finance Corporation, as I referred to earlier. And if we do, the point that I'm trying to make broadly is that if you want the the debt of the United States, if you want the United States to have credit, if you want people to believe in the U.S. economy, then you must introduce new forms of technology that increase the power that we have over the natural universe. And that's what it means to be human. And if we do that by introducing new platforms, like high-speed rail systems, new technologies like nuclear power plants. I mean, that's not even that new, but of course there's new generations that have been built that will increase the actual power that we have in our economy. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we have something that people can believe in, and if we're uh, and then and then they're going to come back to to that idea. In fact, what we're talking about, Paul Gallagher has one proposal. It's not the only way to do it. But it could be that we would uh, get, for example, the Japanese who have a trillion dollars in treasuries, and we have, uh, and the Chinese to invest that back into a national bank to capitalize a national bank, where they would get a greater return on their investment on their holdings, uh, because we would be using it to increase production on a vast scale. Now that would be like I. a part of the Louis, the Louis Pact myself, well, but active more so in, in uh, 2016 uh, up until last year. Oh, great. I had gotten busy. But, um, and so I know that he, uh, Lyndon LaRouche, was very big on the original uh, Glass-Steagall um, before yes. it got all tweaked and messed up everything. So I think um, had it been implemented at, just after Trump got elected that we wouldn't have been in such a position that we are now, we we wouldn't be great, but I think it would have helped. Um, and so, do you think that there that that could still uh, later, you know, when we start to uh, recover from this coronavirus and people get back to work, uh, would that do? You have, what are your views about that? Uh, working well, towards fact, the economy. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we need Glass Steagall immediately. I don't think we can wait at all. Uh, there's been outrageous chaos in the financial markets, which you can see an image of that in the uh, stock market, but that's not actually the whole thing. The, mm-hmm. the whole yeah. thing is the corporate debt bubble, of which, mm-hmm. which is between 11 and, and $16 trillion, depending on what you include in it. Mm-hmm. And of that, $4 trillion at least is junk debt, which is larger than the junk uh, debt that, that blew out the system in 08. Mm-hmm. And so we're very, you know, we're we're looking now. How are these corporate firms going to pay their debt when the whole economy shut down? So there, this bubble is going to blow. And when that bubble blows, it is very possible 
that it could light the fuse on the full two quadrillion dollars, largely derivatives of speculative assets in the world. So you need an action in the rapid fashion that actually gets that firewall up of Glass-Steagall. It means that we're going to say to the banks, uh, you need to split up into two institutions and we're going to give you, you know, one of them being commercial, one of them being speculative, and we're going to give you about two months to do that. And then over the course of two months, they've got to get, you know, they've got to absolutely break themselves up. And during that time period, pension funds and so forth will be able to get out of the worthless assets that are going into the investment pile and actually, you know, put themselves into the important physical assets of the country, which will go up as a result. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that we need to take take uh, major effort on immediately. So uh, I would really encourage you to get engaged again because I think now is absolutely the right time. And you're right. I believe you're absolutely right that if Trump had done it immediately when he came in, then we'd be in such a better condition because you get rid of the, the fiction and you deal with reality. So, you know, actually I had – in 20, maybe you remember us. Maybe you remember what I, what, that I was the guy with LaRouche back who stood up to Hillary Clinton in 2015 and told her, you know, will you restore Glass-Steagall at one of her major speeches? And um, she was, uh, she wouldn't respond to me. Later that day, her campaign came out and said, under Hillary Clinton, you'll never see Glass-Steagall. And then in October of 2016, Donald Trump said at a campaign rally that he wanted a new Glass-Steagall. Mm -hmm. So this was repealed in '99. We yeah. had 60, you know, we had 66. Years and Gingrich did say that was a mistake, by the way. Gingrich did say he thought that was a mistake. He didn't admit to that. Yeah, we can see that. Right, repealing that was a big mistake. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm, no, well, that's about all I have to say. Just please, please rejoin. Get active in this in whatever way that you can. And because um, I, I, honestly, like, um, you know what I'd like to do before I leave, if it's okay with you, Robert, I have a. Yeah, sure. Three, go ahead. Okay. I have a three minute audio clip that was just released today. And it's from uh, Mrs. LaRouche and it puts the whole thing into, uh, into perspective. And I'm just going to load it up on my computer and play it over my phone. And I hope that will be sufficient. I think so. I'll turn everything up. Uh, just take me one moment to get it. But Thank you for taking my question, really, by the way. Excuse me? Oh, I'm so glad to answer them. I'm so glad to talk to you. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, this is it. We're, I think we're at the crisis. So I don't think there's any time left to waste. Here's the, uh, here's the audio. Oh, excuse me, one moment, one moment. I, I thought I had it. Here we go. We can't hear that very good, uh, Daniel. I hate to tell you. Is it working? 
Yeah, I hear it, but it's, it's breaking up, though, unfortunately. Okay, well, then I, I won't continue. Uh, but I will share this with uh, with you, and uh, it's available oh, yeah. at the Schiller Institute YouTube page, Schiller Institute YouTube page. Essentially, what she says is that we need an immediate banking holiday. We need Glass-Steagall across the whole world, and we need to initiate this kind of national banking in every country. Uh, and... Um, and I think uh, I think this really must be taken very seriously right now. Yeah, and yeah, just send it, <clears throat> excuse me, send that that link to me either through Twitter or an email, and I'll make sure I'll get an audio clip of it and play it on our next show. Um, I know you said you only had about uh, ten minutes or so, uh, so if you got to go understood, I know uh, uh, Kelly. He just texted me. He's like, "Oh man, if I just get a question, uh, I don't know if you'd have time for that." But I mean, I know we already uh, kept you know, long. Uh, because you've been so kind to bring me on, and, you're, and I very much enjoy talking to your listeners, uh, and this is that and to the gentleman before, I, I'll definitely take another cl- uh, question, but I, sh- I should go soon after that. No, certainly. And, and real quick before I bring you on, Kelly, and, and this is because you, you, you brought it up uh, and how you like uh, to get involved there, uh, again, to that is definitely go on that uh, conference call tomorrow night. Uh, that's at 10 p.m. Eastern time. I know you're in California, so that would be about 7 o'clock your time. It's pretty much the same time that the show is. And that number is uh, area code 712-770-5505. And the access code is 536-662 and the pound uh, key. And that will get you into the conference call t- uh, tomorrow night. And it starts at 9. I'm sorry, not 10. That's the time I would be able to try to get in. That starts at 9 o'clock Eastern, which I believe is your 6 o'clock. Um, so that's uh, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, so I keep saying 10 because that's the time I'm open to be able to, uh, to call in. But it is 9 o'clock, folks, 9 o'clock uh, tomorrow, Thursday, the 19th. But let's go ahead and uh, get Kelly in. Uh, and thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. Go ahead. Well, hello, hello, Mr. Burke. I am so, um, I want to say, uh, tickled. Um, I, I first have to compliment you. Uh, you have a sense of humility that you're thinking about others, and I, I just think that's wonderful. And you're also very educated. You've done your research. You've done your homework. You're trying to help America and other nations at the same time, which could be very much a win-win um, so just my total compliments to you, and thank you for at least staying a little longer. I hope you can come back to the show again. I'm definitely going to go to the the Roosh Pack um, conference call tomorrow night. And so, yeah, I um, just the way you carry yourself is is really attractive to me. So, hey, my my compliments there. Okay, so well, that's very kind I, of you. Thank you. Yeah, well, when I see humility in people that think about others, I have to compliment. So there you go. Um, yeah, all sorts of questions I'd like to ask. Um, a couple of quick comments. You know, Rhodes, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a civil engineer, actually, I co-opted one college with the Iowa Department of Transportation. I saw one. Well, the big picture about roads and the importance of getting uh, market products to the market, you know, from the fields in Iowa to the uh, markets, railroad, Chicago, um, Cedar Rapids, the uh, Quaker Oats plant, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So China's doing that too. And that's great because that really increases commerce. And by the way, China in Africa, they more like, hey, you guys want to work together? And, you know, versus U.S. is a little bit more forceful in our methods. 
And so I can see why China will want to have roads in their infrastructure regarding the coronavirus. And I oh, got another question for you after this. But after, what are their sanitation practices? I mean, do they have, like America, we have, we can take a shower every day, some twice a day in the hot summer or whatever. You've got hand washing education. You've got water and you've got uh, wastewater systems to take that icky chocolate milk water and, and sanitizes, et cetera. Is China way behind in this regard? Because I think we have an edge on the coronavirus versus China. It, it, where's, where's, I guess, come to a question, where's China's infrastructure on water treatment and sewage treatment? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's probably a, a mixed answer, and I don't, I'm not enough of an expert on that topic to be able to answer in specific. But I can certainly say that you know it's probably a mixed answer because you have to consider that in 40 years they've gone through an industrial revolution, massive, massive, uh, you know, industrial growth in that country, and so that's much quicker than the United States went through it. And so there are certain areas of the country that, or cultural practices that are you know they're still trying to address um, and trying to improve. Uh, but it's very clear to me that there's an effort to improve that. The largest water project in the world is the North, or excuse me, is the Three Gorges Dam, uh, and then uh, in China. And then, of course, there was the North-South Water Project uh, uh, that was recently completed, also gigantic. And so, in terms of water treatment and water uh, management, I think that they're absolutely at the forefront in certain respects. I, I don't know in particular about treatment, to be clear. So there are certainly difficulties there, which is part of why you have this wet market and the much-discussed much problems of, you know, uh, of that type. Um, but I can add this, that there's an article you can look at about what's happening in Italy in which the, uh, the, there's a Chinese team uh, of um, uh, people who've been fighting the virus who arrived in Italy not that long ago. And there's also enormous numbers of uh, medical supplies going to Italy from China presently. And what they're um, saying is that basically the Italians need to learn the lessons of the Chinese that they learned in Wuhan, which was that there is not, you have to have a really, really secure level of protection for the nurses and the doctors because they had large numbers of nurses and doctors get sick. And what's happening in Italy is that they are not actually doing that sufficiently, despite the fact that the reports are that the Italian doctors are very good and that they've done, you know, a heroic job. There's, uh, you know, when we talk about this question of actually defeating a virus, you're talking about uh, extreme sort of high-tech questions about how to protect people from this kind of uh, of, of um, I don't know if pathogen is the right word, but of this kind of airborne, you know, uh, a virus. Um, so what you're asking raises certain questions about how we can get the whole world on the level, and certainly the United States right away, uh, if we're not already there, where our, um, you know, our practices are such that we can defeat it. Well, well yeah, I, I'm trying to compare – China's health practices, health education, their water systems, you know, we turn on the tap, we take it for granted. Over there may not be so much. But, yeah, so I just, yeah, I was curious if you knew about that. All right, I want to go to another topic. It's a lady friend that would love to, uh, I, I think you're gonna, we're going to run out of time here. 
Um, the Global Reset, the BRIC Treaty, if we don't compete in world markets with a gold-based currency, that's Ron Paul, G. Edward Griffin, a number of people, I totally favor an intrinsic uh, monetary system, gold, platinum, silver. I actually bought some silver today. But anyway, and it's at a record low. Anyway, um, is there some type of reset in process? Is there, do you, in your reconnaissance, are you seeing, with all these indictments from the Justice Department, record number of indictments, Epstein, he's pretty high up on the totem pole. Do you see, and, and corporate um, corporate managers, corporate board people, retiring Bill Gates, retired from the uh, Microsoft board last week. Um, are you seeing, I'm just going to ask it and see what you think. But do you see Trump straightening things out? Um, the wealth is aggregated in the hands of a few. Uh, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, letter to Will, uh, Wilcox, is that right? Um, he was concerned about corporations getting way too much power. The banksters, you, you use that word banksters. I've used that for years. Do you see Trump getting people behind bars or indictments at least who had done – horrific corruption, evil, pedophile, what have you, getting them out of the way so Trump can move forward with a economic reset of some kind. Uh, um, and that's also because the BRIC Treaty. The BRIC Treaty, we're not going to be able to compete when China, Argentina, South Africa, um, I think the Russians, the BRIC Treaty, they're going to have a gold-based currency. So we're, we're not going to be able to compete. So in all this, is Trump moving in the direction of some type of currency reset? Um, I'm going to I'm going to address the question in the following way, which is not, which is I, I think I'm getting to the heart of it. Um, Trump has to exonerate Lyndon LaRouche. That's my very strong view. I am totally committed to that, having thought it through a lot. He's just got to do it, and now is a very good time to do it. In fact, it's the only time to do it, because we're at the end of the rope, and. The point being, Mr. LaRouche was put into prison by Robert Mueller 30 years ago. He was the target of Henry Kissinger. He was the target of British intelligence. Mr. LaRouche was the target because he came up with solutions to develop the world's economy. And the Malthusians couldn't possibly allow that. Henry Kissinger was one of the most, is one of the most evil Malthusians that ever walked the planet. You know, the, his policy was to prevent developing nations from having food security because that would mean that they would increase their population. And he said that would make them much harder for the United States to dominate. So we had a long-term policy in this country to keep countries poor. And it was brought in by Henry Kissinger, who bragged that he had a closer relationship to British intelligence than he did to the U.S. State Department. Now, Mr. LaRouche was put in prison by those people, and the worst crime of it, is not that he spent five years in jail. That's not the issue, although that was a crime in and of itself. The crime is that his solutions for the world economy, which he was discussing with Ronald Reagan, the, head of, uh, the president of Mexico at the time, Indira Gandhi, the prime minister of India who was later assassinated, he was discussing with the heads of state of major nations across the world, his ideas were put behind bars. And it was not possible for them to be discussed widely. 
Because as soon as you said, well, look, I'm here to discuss LaRouche's policies, people said, oh, well, he's an anti-Semite, he's a fascist, he's a communist, he's a this, he's a that, he's the other, he's a criminal. And that has been an, uh, a disastrous thing for the world, in my view, because these ideas are so beautiful and so true, and they would work. And really, if you look at China from that standpoint, then you say, hey, look, they're actually implementing LaRouche's policies. He proposed in 1996 with his wife, LaRouche, I mean, Helga LaRouche, actually back in the early 90s, that they would uh, build high-speed trains all across Eurasia. That was his proposal. We called it the New Silk Road, which is what the Chinese call it today. Yeah, so, so essentially my point is that it'd be much more important for Trump to take that action. He discussed pardoning Michael Flynn to take that action for Mr. LaRouche so that he could have the tools to rescue the country. Because that's what he's got to do. He's got to rescue the country. And it's much more important to do that now than to, you know, than to deal with the people who should be put in prison. And they, and they had better be shoved aside in some sense. The most important thing he can do is get access to LaRouche's ideas. That's my view. Well, that's that's a really good thing to do, uh, Robert. Can you bring that Florida, uh, uh, Debbie, that I mentioned? Because she's got a. Well, I don't know if Dan. Well, 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 yeah, she has on the call. She like to chime in, but I, Dan, I don't. Uh, you know, he yeah, he, he stayed a lot longer than he anticipated. But um, I mean, we'll we'll probably you know we, I'd like to have Daniel back in the show, and hopefully, he'll have time to be able to do that. I surely hope so. I should get moving. I have to uh, attend to some things here at the house, but I will. Uh, uh, I really have appreciated you bringing me on, Robert, and uh, and I and uh, I really I you know tomorrow night's conference call. If this thing is brought together in the proper way, it's really a launch pad to be able to get a larger force of people discussing, understanding, and fighting for these ideas. Because I, I just think there's no there's no time left to have you know ideologies or opinions. You know you have to have knowledge. And that's what we're putting forward. This is based on a scientific principle of economics that Mr. LaRouche discovered in his, uh, in his work over 50 years. And that was the basis for his economic forecasts, which are absolutely prescient. You just look up on YouTube, look at anything that LaRouche said in the past 40 years, and you'll see exactly what we're dealing with right now. Exactly what we're dealing with right now, including specifically pandemics, financial crash, and all of this. And yeah, so well, it's really yeah, G. Edward Griffin, if you remember uh, Creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward pre- Griffin predicted um, the situations of booms and busts and inflation and da-da-da-da-da. The Creature from Jekyll Island is a must-read that's, for any – That's certain, yeah. that's certainly a true, true. but what, uh, what is unique about Mr. LaRouche is that he provided the solutions, solutions. which is not really solutions. to get rid of the Fed, but to initiate the process of national banking. Glass-Steagall investments in national infrastructure and science, especially space science and fusion power. So, with that, I'm going to I'm going to leave and and uh, say one more big thank you. Please come uh, back. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it, Daniel. We'll now we'll uh, I'll reach out again on uh, on Twitter and de- definitely folks check that out. Especially if you wanted to speak with uh, Daniel tonight, you know maybe you'll be able to get you know a question in. Uh, tomorrow at uh, the conference call. Uh, so you definitely definitely call that. That's the uh, area code 712-770-5505. The access code 
uh, 536-662, and then the pound sign, and, and that'll get you in. And, again, I mean, I was on uh, the call Monday night. I was able to get a question in uh, as well. Uh, so now there, there may be a lot more people on that call than than on Mondays. Uh, and so, but, you know, just get your uh, your question early. And, Debbie, I do apologize. I am going to get you into the show uh, so you can make your comments. And so here's how we'll do it here. Is, uh, and, again, thank you, Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with you again soon. And I really appreciate all the time that you uh, spent on the show. Uh, be safe out there. And, and have a Thank good night, you. and uh, we'll talk soon. You're, you're welcome. Okay, um, very so good. How, here's good how, yeah, certainly. Good night, uh, Daniel. Thank you. And, and so what we'll do is we'll, we'll uh, bring in Debbie, and then we'll uh, do a roundtable. Uh, so that means we'll bring uh, Joseph back in. Uh, we'll bring uh, you back in uh, to that, and then Kelly, and then, you know, I'll bring some in. We do have some more callers. Uh, just push the one on your number dial. Uh, if you're in chat, you know, I haven't had a chance to – uh, look at much things in chat uh, this evening, but you know I do appreciate the there too. Uh, but if you'd like to give us a call, uh, you can call us in. You got another about 24 minutes to do so at uh, 347-945-7428. But let's go ahead and uh, bring Debbie in. Uh, thank you very much, Debbie. Again, I apologize that she's from Florida. Uh, apologize for not giving him the you know you having the opportunity to, to speak with him directly. Uh, again, maybe uh, on the conference call tomorrow night. Uh, we will definitely have him in on the show. I um, mean, he did stay about a half an hour longer than what uh, he initially had planned to. Uh, and he is running for Senate. Uh, so I'm sure he's got a, a lot to do. Plus, it's, he's, he's in Eastern time as well. Uh, so it, it's probably getting late over there for him and his family, too. But thank you, Debbie. I appreciate you coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hello? Yeah. Hello? Yep, you're on. I can hear you. Go ahead and uh, speak. Can you hear me? Yeah, I yeah. can hear you. What um, say you? <laughs> okay, it's been interesting listening to everyone because I'm seeing various uh, facets of what I think is going on presented, but uh, I've got a different take on this completely. I've been watching since towards the end of 2009 some efforts to do an economic, a global economic reset with gold money. Um, the head attorney for the World Bank for 20 years started blowing the whistle on them for all the corruption and they got herself fired and made them get her first job back because several of them improved lives and her shows and broadcasts keep getting wiped off the net. But anyhow, um, we were told to expect this during the Obama years. It didn't happen. Several times it didn't happen. And we were told that it was to look out for a Friday for a banking holiday for banks and markets to close and not reopen right away, but to be prepared because there would be riots and chaos and looting and just all this insanity when people find out that their money's no good anymore. Well, we were a little worried about this, but it kept not happening. Fast forward, we get under Trump. He does some things that are kind of interesting, like uh, doubling the size of Gitmo, remodeling it, yet it's not a quarter full at the moment. He uh, moves the human hey, resources Debbie, department. Debbie, Debbie, are you on yeah. speakerphone? It's kind of hard to hear you. Maybe. Let me check. Yeah, I just didn't want to read and get chime in, too. I, I no? think she was breaking up a lot. <laughs> um, let me turn oh, my Bluetooth speaker off. Does that help? 
Yeah, yeah that sounds a lot your, better. Yeah, a lot better. By the way, while Debbie's fixing some, Debbie. Uh, oh, but she got disconnected. She got disconnected. Oh, hopefully she'll be able to bummer. call back in. She, she got disconnected. Yeah, she'll be able to call back in. Debbie, Debbie organized a gun rally in Florida. You know, a Second Amendment type of rally. So, she's the kind of person to get stuff done. So anyway, so and, and she's, I'll I'll let her introduce her idea of what's going on with Corona, um, and maybe we can have her on the show from. She's doing a bunch of research. She's already done a bunch of research. But um, um she 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 called back in, Kelly. You want me to get her mic up? Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yep. There you go, uh, Debbie. Go ahead. Did I come back? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's really um, good. Yeah. We can hear we can hear you well. Good. Okay. Yeah, it was a Bluetooth speaker. I only have one working speaker on my phone, so I use it. Okay. We've saw Trump do a whole lot of things that were kind of interesting, like you know, doubling get my own. Um, remodeling it, which seemed to really make a lot of sense, moving the Human Resources Department over to the military for the federal government, which what that means is if you're in the federal government and you commit a crime, you don't get a regular court trial. You go to tribal, you go to military tribunal, quick, easy, and done. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, a few other interesting things he's done that uh, seem to be leading up to this. The um, sealed indictments shot up to 60,000, stayed that way for a really long time, and then just the last month, they've gone up to 144,000. Unheard of. But they've not been served yet. Okay? Then we have this pandemic breakout. The response to it is just not justified. It's really not. You've got countries tanking their economies voluntarily. You've got New Jersey the other day. My friend who teaches guitar was told as of Saturday, he's not to come back to work because his job is non-essential. His boss didn't come up with this. The owner didn't come up with this. The governor of New Jersey came up with this. If you're not essential, stay home. I got grocery stores here closing at 8 o'clock rather than 10 and 11. How does that address the virus? It doesn't. It just gets people used to staying home. Okay? They are sort of instituting martial law to keep people at home, but they're also allowing easy-to-get Unemployment, if you get sent home, extended unemployment if you're on it, extended and extra food stamps. This is for the purpose of stocking up to stay home. So we don't have riots in the streets, and we don't have all this craziness going on. This virus is perfect to put into place and scare everybody into staying home while they reset the economy and pick up all these people that caused all this and deal with them with military tribunals. I've been watching this since 2009, and it's been one little domino after another and a few big ones. After Weinstein got arrested, 1,500-plus major CEOs and people in positions of media, Hollywood entertainment, just all kinds of big shots suddenly just walked off their jobs. No, no particular reason to ever give up a job like that, but they're lowering the targets on their backs. I think what we're seeing is a global reset, and the money was printed. It's called Orem. You can look it up and see pictures of it. It's beautiful. There are bills, and there's coins. When Trump went to India recently, he talked them into trading with us in gold, not money. 
there is a big thing about to happen, but there's going to be a rough patch getting to the other side of it, but it's beautiful on the other side of it because all the debts are wiped clean. All debts, all nations, all mortgages, all credit cards, all car loans, all that kind of stuff. If a crooked bankster is who got your money in that mortgage, your mortgage will be wiped clean. And we're all supposed to get a certain amount of restart cash in this gold can money. You, can you talk about Nasera? Because there's some people that are just like, wow, Nasera is the answer, and it was, I guess it was passed by Congress. Um, yeah, it's part of the 14th Amendment. Um, we're supposed to get um, 6,000 patents that have been held back for free energy, um, cures for diseases that have been held back, um, the banksters are supposed to get rounded up. We're supposed to get a certain amount of money every month for 11 years to make up for all that these banksters have gotten off of us. Um, banking is supposed to go on the gold and silver and platinum standard only, not to be manipulated. Um, China and, and Italy, and so they can tank their economy when they know they've got a fresh one coming. You look at all of these things together, you take the global reset and put it in the context of this virus, these things start to make sense. Where they don't, if you look at them separate. I've been um, waiting for this reset for years. So um, the you know, the Nasera thing, I don't I, I don't know much about it, but I know some people that were like, Woohoo, once Nasera comes through, the banksters are gonna have to give up their game, their game, their game show, they're gonna them are going to go to jail. All sorts. I I don't know much about Nasera, but I believe it was passed by Congress, and Obama was about to implement it, but he didn't. Something something. Can you tell me more about the the, the Nasera legislation? You can. Well, I'm still reading about that myself because I've been watching um, podcasts from the people that told me this was going on back in 2009. In fact, I sent you a link to it today, but. Uh, that is exactly what where we're at with this. Well, well, the well, Amendment. May, 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 well, wait, wait, wait. Let, let me. I, I, I don't really do this, and, and I know you're new here, Debbie. And I really appreciate being here from you again. I'm very intrigued by what you guys say, but I do want to interject this because you're, you're you're saying a very important year uh, because was not why now instead of 2009 when if you remember. 2009 wasn't that not the uh, uh, April of 2009 wasn't that H1 H1N1 when we had H1N1 was wasn't that 2009 possibly no but because that's what I'm, that's it didn't why really, I mean, it didn't really that, matter that back then because yeah but it didn't really matter back then because Obama was never going to let us do this reset ever he was burying us in debt and he refused our portion of the gold that was set aside for America. We had to have a corporation form on behalf of us to accept it and hang on to it, hang on to the new money until somebody got in there to start turning these things around and then take this gift and pay off all the debts with it. It's been sitting, waiting. I sent Daniel some pictures of the new money. I'll be happy to send them to anybody that wants to see it. It's beautiful. But it's gold um, – Injecting into a polymer, but it's just as thin and foldable and usable as what we're using now. That's actually really toilet paper. <laughs> but uh, well, wait, I mean, yeah, yeah. Send it to me. Go to the um, go to the, the website www.bardslogic.politicaltalk.com, and there's a contact portal. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, 
get you could you could send me an email through the contact portal. I, I would definitely like to see that. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay. If anyone wants to really kind of get some um, clips and and the problem is we have not been in a position to get going on this, so it kept getting put off and put off and put off, and I kind of gave up on it for a while. Karen Hudes, H-U-D-E-S, 20 years, top attorney for the World Bank. She became a whistleblower. She does these videos, and sometimes they're hard to find because now and then they go through YouTube and wipe them all off. <laughs> um, you can look her up and listen in, see what she's had to say. Um, Ken's story is another one that discusses it. Um, Karen goes out three times a day and announces that she's um, alive and not suicidal because <laughs> there's been many attempts on her life, and with good reason. She's been telling on them. She filed UCC um, liens against several corporations, and within 24 hours, their CEOs resigned. This is a lot of stuff you just don't hear about. You have to know where to be listening in to find out about these things. But I'm not. I'm just one of millions that do know about it. I watched her a couple of the videos, and at the time she was talking also towards the end there about stuff that people couldn't wrap their head around. Um, and I think um, it was exploited what she was talking about, um, and to make her look like she was crazy. And then they and that didn't do it as far as dissuade people from listening to her, so they just took her off of YouTube altogether. Yeah. Well, they seem to try to do things like that to anybody that's telling it like this or actually wants yeah. to do something to help. Right. But the gold the gold that's coming into the system was set aside for fifty years under sequester after it was gathered up so that nobody who donated to it could claim it when it when it was brought back out. And it was set and buried for the good of humanity, and that's what they're going to do with it. We've got a great opportunity here, and there's some great things ahead, but we're going to have a really rough patch getting there. People are not going to understand being kept home from work when there's really nothing going on, you know. There are some what I would call um, collateral damages with this virus, but it's nothing like what they're trying to make it up to be, and it's nothing like it would be if they – Worldwide told everybody, your money's toilet paper. Stop buying it, you know. Um, well, I think what you're saying there might tie into what was recently done by the um, by the Federal Reserve uh, over the weekend, and um, that was banks were supposed to hold the amount of money in their banks that they had on their books and that they loaned out, um, and that. Went to 10%. They ended up dropping that to 10%. The banks had to produce, if they were, you know, as far as showing at the closing day, what they had in their bank physically. And they dropped that. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. That fits into this as well. But they removed that 10% requirement. So now banks don't have to show that they have any physical money, um, you know, in their banks at the end of closing day. If you remember, it's a wonderful life. When they had oh, a bank yeah. run. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mom makes they me watch it every Christmas. <laughs> yeah. They had to show something to stay in business. They had that $1. And um, and now that requirement's been removed, so you don't, they don't have to show anything um, as far as having that money physically in their, their vaults. Well, they're all being put out to pasture anyway. If we're, we're going to get a clean, fresh, new startup with new currency globally, What's right. going on today really doesn't matter. It, that's how you can give everybody unemployment without, you know, much hassle and extra food stamps to stock up and sit home. 
because it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter. Right, and that I think that's why they now. I'm thinking. What, what's the timeline on this, Debbie? Did you do you, do you have a do you have a, a possible timeline on this when you think this will all be implemented? This going on now, it's, it, but they're just they're just they're easing everybody into the idea of staying home and not fighting the fact that it is more or less martial law. But that is really for our protection. That's to keep us home and out of their way while they got to do what they got to do to get this all set up and roaring. Um. Scare everybody with a virus. They'll stay home. Give them food. Give them what they need to stay home. Tell them to play board games. You know, um, it was a brilliant idea because the other idea of just announcing it and trying to do it was there was a lot of bad going with that. The actual setup of the system two to four weeks tops. But in order to do this and do it right, they want to round up the deep state. They want to round up the known implementers of how we got here and get them out, which is why Gitmo was doubled which is why the um, Human Resources Department got moved to military, which is why there's 144,000 indictments that are sealed, sitting and waiting. They want to take care of those people and get them out of the system before we start up with this beautiful new one. And, and that, they shut down uh, the economy. Trump, yeah, Trump said something about July or August in reference to the virus, but I'm starting to see these things that he does and says in a whole different way. If some of you follow Q, the other night he made the, the Q symbol with his fingers, spun it in the air and asked the media, do you know what that means? Well, you will soon. You can walk away. And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I've been, so, um, you know, uh, and real quick, Debbie, is, is I've been, uh, at least earlier this year and, and late last year, is and I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I was, and there's a lot of uh, QAnon folks out there, and I don't know that much about it except that it's something, and supposedly they've got you know some kind of uh, you know information on things and what have you. I mean, you know, is this Q? Is this is this an actual person, or I mean, is there a way to get someone who is associated, or maybe even this? Q individual themselves, and I mean, I'd love to interview the person, uh, you know, on the show or someone who is an association with them or someone who better understands who this this Q individual or persons is because or are. It's, I I don't know. I'm just it's something I've heard about in passing, and I see you know I see a lot. I see it on Twitter. I see it on Facebook, but I'm not really sure what it is. They're almost like anonymous, aren't they? <laughs> um. Yeah, I would like to know more too myself. I get to read the occasional releases that come from Q. Um, they seem we to be following. The, we don't know if it's be, one person or or a bunch of individuals working together, and they put it's out a bunch of Yeah, it's a group. We um, it's, they put it's out individual um, riddles, so to speak, so that people can research. They they say call them breadcrumbs, and so they lead you to so that the people can find out. Uh, that follow Q, um, what it is they're talking about, but basically they're looking for um, what it is to back up what is Q saying um, in a riddle-type way. And the, and so this way people know what it is that they're looking for or, or figure out what they're looking for and have evidence as to what it is that they're talking, what Q is talking about. Um, right. Rather One than part of Q, Q is talking. following... One part of Q is... Making government follow Christian values, that's part of it, a big part of it, um, and how to do so. You, 
they have a lot of solutions. They have a lot of um, cautions that they write about. But they also tell things that the media will never tell you, and they do provide proof of these things. I'm one of those people that I turned my TV off five years ago because it was just garbage. And what I do is I kind of listen around for the current talking points, and then I go, I go find out who's telling the truth and who's lying by going to records, real stuff. I don't go listen to the media. I, I go check out everything that I can as close to the source as I possibly can to figure out what's actually going on because you're never going to fi- find out watching the news. And Q puts things in a way to connect the dots as far as who's connected to who. You know, they'll drop a picture, and I say they because I'm not this group of people. They'll drop a picture of certain, you know, and it's a photo of um, certain people that are grouped together that may be also in the same group doing this or doing that um, to explain what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and so that people can understand what is actually going on in the world with this deep state um, and where we're headed. And, you know, sometimes they disappear and sometimes they don't. And it's the anons, the anonymous or anonymous people that call themselves anonymous that, um, that communicate with Q and will ask questions. And, you know, if there's something that's not understood, if there's something put out there by them, uh, like um, who is... Uh, the person that was in the 19, you know, 76, da da da, behind yada yada yada. Um, look for, and they'll drop another name, and so that you can go research it yourself to find out what happened at that time, and then they'll connect that to something else, um, to sh- or show how it connects to something else as to what's going on today, which you know, pretty interesting um, if you get follow it. Uh, but um, it is, it's a lot to, it's a whole lot to try to outline for someone that's not heard of any of this before because like I said I've been following it since 2009 and you see things set set it backwards you see things move it forwards but it just dawned on a whole bunch of us that are in a, a little group where like this person follows vaccines this one follows the economy we, we all specialize in different areas brought up the fact that what they're doing with this virus is not justified it doesn't make sense but yet if you were to take the global economic reset and put it in that context, it makes perfect sense. Wow. And, yeah. and, hey, and the reset's supposed to be a good thing, right? And, and real quick, right. there's only about an hour and a half left of, of this portion of the show now. Uh, make sure that your lines don't drop because if it does after the next uh, minute and a half, unfortunately, uh, you will not be able to, uh, to call in. And so definitely make sure uh, the lines are, are, are charged. And so – uh, just you know, that's about a minute. But we will go into what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, which will be the uh, the final hour of tonight's episode. Uh, but if, and of course, it'll be uh, archived the show as well. Uh, so just a, kind of a little friendly reminder. And uh, go ahead, Debbie. And then what I like to do is get back, uh, get to our roundtable. Of course, we will. Uh, we do have some more callers. If you'd like to chime in, put some one on your number dial. Be happy to get you into the show. Uh, but go ahead and uh, finish with that, and then I'll get hey, uh, hey, some comments, bring it hey, back hey, around to Joseph, and then do our roundtable. Hey, go, hey, go ahead, Debbie, and I'll bring it Robert, back Robert, to you, Joseph. Robert, Robert, What? I'm yeah, here. go ahead and let Debbie finish, but I'm asked, I've asked uh, Debbie, because we've had a number of conversations about, well, a number of things, but this is one that she's been really studying, and so I asked her to uh, um, prepare a bunch of notes so that maybe she can come on the show. 
in a week or two and, you know, give her half an hour and explain this because it's hard for most people to catch all of this, you know, in a five or 10 minute segment. So are, are you okay with uh, letting Debbie have, you know, half an hour in a week oh, or yeah, two? Of course. And, and, of course. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. yeah okay. I can, I can yeah, make okay. more sense then in, in a better, I can get more chronological with it with things that you have seen happen. So you can follow along a little better. This was just kind of impromptu tonight, but yeah, that that would be good for me. <laughs> no, no, that'd be great. I, and uh, one thing, if you're good, if you're gonna actually make a timeline, if you make like a, um, you know, a like a JPEG of it or something, definitely send it, you know, to me as well through the website, or you can give it to Kelly. And Kelly could get it to me, and I'll I could post uh, the timeline here up on um, Blog Talk Radio, uh, where we're gonna post that access to the archive. They can see that timeline. I've got a few things that are sort of cliff notes like I'm going to shoot to you in, in addition to those pictures, but then I'll work on my own thing too. Well, great. Yeah, certainly looking forward to it. Cause I have a feeling this is going to be something that's going to go along for a little bit. I was hoping only for a couple of weeks, you know, again, cause my, my daughter, it's her senior year of school and, you know, it's really screwing. Now we're in Bart's life after dark, so I can throw that F bomb. I won't, but, uh, but it's really screwing up her, uh, you know, her, her, you know, her last year and, you know, uh, of high school and she's really you know done a lot of work and, and got through some some things to get where she's at and you know real proud of her but now there's <laughs> now this battle where she's supposed to be you know getting uh the fruits of her labor you know like prom and things of that nature and it's screwing all that up it's mm-hmm. kind of pissing me off um you know so i was hoping to yeah, be the next gotta, couple they, weeks they've but... got to sell this they've got to sell this strong enough to make people scared and stay home you know, they're going to start increasing oh, the death rate. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go home for the next couple of days. Yeah. Go ahead, Debbie. The death rates that they're giving out, the statistics are going to have to start matching these these moves that they're making. So expect them to increase greatly, whether you can see any of it for real or not. You know, China banned funerals. Well, why did they do that? Because they're not having as many as they're going to be saying they're having. You know, um, watch the numbers shoot up. But why should you not be able to see any of it? You won't know people this is happening to. Yeah, and I've seen something on, and I'm going to make this comment bringing jokes if I can, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a post on, on Twitter where it says, you know, does anyone, I mean, let, let me ask this right now. Does anyone here on the call, and, and I'll start with myself and then Joseph, and then we'll be bringing things around the, the, the round table. I personally don't know anyone who has been diagnosed with it yet. Um, what about you, Joseph? Do you personally know anyone who's been diagnosed with uh, Crony yet? Uh, absolutely not. No, personally, no. I don't. Well, I'll tell you who has. Tom Hanks and his wife, they're over in Austra- Australia, quarantined in a hotel room, and they keep doing these little YouTube releases talking about, it's a really bad version of the flu, but we're fine, we're fine. Don't worry about us. And they look fine. Yeah. Uh, Joseph, did you want to have any questions for Debbie or make any comments on on that stuff? It's it's certainly, I mean, it sounds plausible, uh, you know, that that could be going on. I mean, it it hasn't made sense to me since all all this has started uh, for this type of reaction, you know, besides it being media driven. But I mean, what's your what's your thoughts on what Debbie is bringing out to us? Uh, I think Debbie has valid points, and it it points back to what I've what I've also been uh, echoing the sentiment from the beginning, which is that 
uh, A, what's different from this uh, virus uh, compared to previous viruses is that you have a Republican – well, he's not really a Republican, but he is under the uh, Republican Party. You have a, a Republican in the White House that has a very successful economy, and the difference is when Ebola – uh, broke out under the Obama administration, and there were many, many, many deaths worldwide. Um, there was a Democrat in the White House, and of course the mainstream media is in the pocket of, of the Dems. They always have been. That's one of their biggest arsenals that they have, and they will always have, uh, probably until I take my last breath and, and pretty much way after I, I depart this world. Uh, and also at the same time, it's politically motivated. How do I know? A five-year-old with common sense would know that because when you're putting on the news, uh, there's a big difference from the journalists stating the facts and the numbers. Well, you know, this could have been prevented had President Trump not done A, B, C, D, and E. Okay, now you're no longer being a journalist. Now you're no longer uh, being unbiased as, uh, uh, as journalism is supposed to be, it's supposed to be unbiased. Now you're politicizing the whole thing. ABC is doing it. NBC is doing it. CBS is doing it. CNN is doing the it. The alphabet MSNBC media is what I call it. Uh, the mainstream media, exactly. And it's at the expense of the American people, the people who they claim they're but a lot of them for. also resigned the their positions. Exactly. Um, and, and, and the Dems who always tout that they are the champion of the American people, the lower class, the myth. They're the ones that are being affected the most um, with so many uh, layoffs in the hospitality industry. Uh, I work in the hospitality industry, and, um, you know, I have to wait 15 days and, and take a big financial loss uh, of what I'm making. And number two, uh, my theory is that they want to intentionally tank the economy in hopes that that will be enough. Uh, to win 2020 yep. to the American people. And, and I'm just Certainly. putting logic together, like you were pointing out, Robert. You know, you're, you were asking previously, you know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not adding up, and it, it's not. You would think right, from Right, but a, why would also Italy and China tank their economies too, unless they knew they were going to get a new one? Well, um, you know, I'm uh, – to be very honest, I wouldn't be able to answer that question because um, I, I don't know. Uh, and, you know, you know what you know and what you don't know, you don't know. And so, you know, uh, I learned over the years the hard way when you don't know something or you're not knowledgeable about a certain topic, uh, it's just best to admit the truth and say you don't know. I, I can't speak to that. But I can speak to the Democratic Party. And I can speak to them doing everything in their power to tank the economy because you mm -hmm. got to understand that this Democratic Party is unlike any other in the history of the Democratic Party since we became a sovereign nation. They have I think they're just willing to do anything been... and everything to get rid of anybody coming after them, anything and everything. Well, I, 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 I think they realize that Donald Trump is inevitable that he's going to win 2020, and this is a last-ditched attempt in a Hail Mary from a, a, a party that suffers from uh, delirium. They're, they're delirious, 
And that's what they're banking on at the expense of the American people. This wouldn't be the first time right. the Democratic Party has done things that have hurt the American people. As I pointed out last week on your show, Robert, uh, you know, the millennials don't know much about the history of the party they espouse. Democrats are <laughs> yeah, the party true. of the Confederacy, party of slavery, party of war uh, with Vietnam, uh, the party of segregation. So it wouldn't be the first time. Um, nor would it be the last uh, that they would do or take actions or support stances that adversely affected the American people or that was not in the best interest of the American people. But other than that, that is their hope. They think that this, uh, over using the media as their uh, propaganda ministry um, to do their dirty work for them, they're hoping is going to tank the economy. Hoping. And I say the word hoping because they're delirious. But it's it's not going to be enough to tank the economy. It will hurt the economy, but it will not take us into a recession. I don't foresee it taking us into a depression, and therefore Trump wins in 2020. Um, you know that 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 is their hope, Robert, and that's what I firmly believe, um, based on facts and logic, putting them together. What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? The patterns of behavior, uh, and and that's what I believe their uh, a game is. Because right now it's 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 what's ported on the news that is prompting all of these legislators to take these measures mm-hmm. because they're feeling the heat from the court of public opinion. Yep, you got it. That's exactly what scared. I was saying. They're forcing Trump's yeah, hand. Exactly. They're forcing Trump's hand, and not only that, the hysteria they're putting the the progressives, their own base, they're putting their own legislators' feet under the fire in return. I honestly believe any liberal in their right mind would know that shutting down all of Wall Street and shutting down New York is going to come back and bite them. But also they're back in the corner where their base is telling them, hey, we're panicking, you know, close us down. And they're putting their feet to the fire. So I I think everyone is in a bad predicament. Part of the global economic reset, the steps, was that it would happen on a Friday or a banking holiday. At 5 o'clock, the market would close, the banks would close, and they would not reopen until we're on the new monetary standard. That's what I see going on. I Well, when's the next just bank being, holiday? Good Friday? I mean, I, mean, I don't know if that's the case. The only Friday I can think of, and that's next month, is Good Friday. I mean, I don't know if that bank closed on that day. I know I work for an insurance company. And I mean, we're off on on Good Friday, you know. But I don't know if the stock market closes on Good Friday. <laughs> I don't know to be I, honest. I think what's happened is that they've changed their directive because doing it that way was going to cause global pandemic hysteria of violence. People wanting their money, people pissed off. I think that they're using the virus to keep everybody home, keep everybody stocked up, keep everybody calm while they do what they got to do. And then we'll get told about it in. Things will change. Well, yeah, we'll see what faster. they develop. I mean, I, 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 I like that scenario better than the scenario that me and Joseph, is, uh, Joseph aspire to. <laughs> uh, you know, but I mean, but I mean, you're, you know, what you're contending. I mean, I think that could help out, you know, Trump as well because I just think it's going to be a disaster for not not just the next four to eight years if a Democrat gets into the presidency. I mean, I think it's going to be the next. If we get a Democrat president this time around, I, I, I truly believe, you know, I truly think that. I mean, it will be detrimental for America for at least the next four decades. 
but we've had our Republican presidents going all the way back to Reagan have been working for the same crap the Democrats have been working for. That's why we continue to move to the left no matter who's in there or how much power we gave them or how much support they had in Congress. Things have continued to go worse. They've not stopped anything bad, and then they've not put anything good in place. It was, after all, Bush that called for the new world order, globalization. Well, what, what's really bizarre here is Trump is not really – a and Joseph called this, you know, and I, I've been wondering myself. Trump's not really a Democrat or a Republican, but I think he is working for the best interest of the American people. He's a pragmatist. He solves problems. Yeah, yeah, he solves problems, and so he sees things, and he's got a bunch of people that approach him, and he listens. And so I loved he is it when doing he was something. Campaigning. When he was campaigning, he would give the absolute wrong answer to an off-the-cuff question, and then by morning he had the right one. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he listens. See, yeah. You, you cannot be successful, and he's in the construction business. I'm in the construction business. If you're not listening, you're going to be out of business pretty damn quick. He went the other way and became phenomenally successful. So maybe he's listening to advisors and other people, and they're having a reset of the economic system that we could all prosper, and not just our nation, but other nations as well. I'm, I'm just – I'm totally entertaining this idea that you have, have come up with, and uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. But I, I look forward to your to your presentation when you can you know, put a little more yeah, together. Definitely. I know it was – yeah, <laughs> impromptu, impromptu. I'm hoping this blows over by the time that two weeks comes. Um, the, the, or if you could do it next week, great, but if it's another two weeks, that's fine. Um I would really hope this would be over for so many reasons uh, by then, but uh, I don't know. Now, one of the things that our guest tonight mentioned, and I said I want to get to this article, um, it's not a very long one, so I'll um, I'll go ahead and, and read it so we can make comment of it. And this um, and this article, you know, again, you can find uh, on the Bard's Logic Political Talk newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And uh, just go to the uh, Bart's Logic Newsroom tab. <clears throat> you can even subscribe uh, to the newsroom where you can do um, – you know, you'll just get updates uh, every week when, when it, uh, it resets. But anyway, uh, again, this is uh, from Newt Gingrich. Uh, this was done three uh, – about six days ago. So, um, But, you know, again, it's <coughs> – excuse me, it's opinion. Piece that says, Newt Gingrich, I am in Italy amid the coronavirus uh, crisis. America must act now and act bid, big. Says the COVID 19 corona um, pandemic poses two threats public health and economic. And, and we stated that some tonight. So, yeah, see, here it is. This says, I, I am living in Italy where my wife, Callista, is the ambassador to the Holy See. I have watched firsthand that the Italian government has worked hard to contain the coronavirus by imposing strong public health measures to try to get the epidemic under control. These measures will lead to significant economic challenges. As I write, all school <coughs> I'm so sorry, folks. I'm, I'm battling a cold I'm just coming down off of. But anyway, it says uh, – and, and, and while I go to this list, we'll see if these are things we've already done. It says uh, all schools are closed uh, in all of Italy. I don't know if all the schools are closed, but I know my daughter's school's closed. 
I, I know the public schools in my in the, my area. They are they're closed. They're taking an extended spring break, uh, but my daughter's ain't closed. I mean the, the the building is, but she's still doing online classes. All churches are closed, which I don't think that they're doing. But I do think uh, I heard because I'm not a churchgoer, so I'm, I'm really not sure. Uh, but I thought I heard someone who is state that they're postponing all masses uh, uh, until Easter. It's not even farther. All weddings and funerals are postponed. I don't think that's happening here. I think there are still some weddings, um, funerals. All restaurants are closed. The dine-in in, in, in Ohio, I can't speak for the whole nation, but um, and really, I mean, if you think of this Italy, the country of Italy, it's just as big as the, one of our states, right? So we're kind of uh, kind of a comparison there. All restaurants are closed, which again, uh, you could go to the drive-in and carry-out and delivery uh, for restaurants, which is good, or else I would never eat dinner. Uh, but <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so that I mean, we're kind of there. In fact, all stores except grocery stores and pharmacies are closed. I don't think all stores are because I try to go to a, a store today, actually, because uh, I'm working from home starting tomorrow, and there's a, a thing for my phone, a headset for my phone I wanted to buy. But by the time I got off work, they were closed. Now, <laughs> the store itself isn't always closed, but the store itself is uh, limiting its hours. It's got limited hours. Because people are urged to work from home, which you're doing here, um, at least my place, um, unless they work in specially designated factories. Um, and so not everybody, but they're trying. The, the streets are almost empty, which yeah, I, I've noticed that they're not empty here in the United States. But remember, we're a bigger country. We're not as close quarters as they are. So these steps anybody are not Anybody here live in Las Vegas? What's that? Las, anybody here live in Las Vegas? The Strip is closed. Disney is closed. These are places that don't close, but they're closed. Yeah, that is true. It says these steps are not an overreaction. The coronavirus is out of control in northern Italy. As of 6 p.m. local, 1 p.m. Eastern time on March 10th, there were uh, 15,113 total cases in Italy with 12,839 active cases. 2016 deaths and 1,258 recoveries, and there were 168 total cases here in Rome. The hardest hit region around blah blah blah. Let's see. Okay, it says the uh, it says the impact. Oh, sorry, I, I scrolled uh, back down too much. So the hardest hit region around Milan has had to impose or improvise as its health system has been deeply stressed. By the sheer number of patients in Milan and uh, Brasilia, uh, field hospitals have been set up in fairgrounds as the local hospitals have been uh, drowned in patients. Because of the demand for respirators and intensive care has been beyond any previous planning, doctors have been forced into the kind of triage thinking developed for intense battlefield casualty situation. That's why, I mean, I keep saying, I mean, do we really need to be on a, a war footing, you know, which you know, I kind of, we kind of are. Uh, but Would it not be cheaper to come up with the respirators that they need than to shut everything down? Well, yeah. Well, I guess they figured that well, – the, the, the way they're explaining it, I'm not saying it's the truth of the matter. Uh, the way they're explaining it is you know, they're trying to stretch out that curve so that our, our health care system isn't you know, inundated like 
<clears throat> like what you're seeing here uh, in Italy. So that's why they're closing everything is to try to keep people from getting it. You know, or, or at least it sounds like what they think is that, you know, there there is going to be a certain amount of people who get it. It just instead of getting people having it all at once and then and then it going down, uh, it's just going to be the same amount of people, but over a, a longer stretch of time. At least that's their theory. That's their theory. That's that, that, that was you know, that, that was the theory that I was following. I was following that theory until. We pick the situation up and put it in the context of the reset we've been expecting. <laughs> Suddenly, both things make sense. Well, yeah, I mean, no, that's, I mean, it's, I'm not saying uh, you know the contentions are uh, aren't valid. I, I think it's a very well. I mean, and it sounds like that if that really is the case, I mean, that's not a bad case scenario. You know, that's kind of a at least for me, it's kind of a hopeful scenario because they're working on this to to fix how. Uh, sorry, I hit my my funny bone. You know, when you hit your funny bone, I don't know why they call it that. Because there's nothing funny about hitting your funny bone. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, no, <laughs> I don't know why they call it that. But when you hit that part of your elbow, there's nothing funny about it, except maybe other people laughing at your pain or something. I don't know. There's a um, not so funny la- spot on the knee too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, time's flying. But anyway, uh, it says um, I just looked at the the clock. It says there are reports that emergency room doctors are allotting respirators to those with higher life expectancy due to the limited equipment in the hardest hit areas of the province. If you are older or have other illness, you simply may not be eligible for treatment. Now, I'm going to stop there for a little bit. Now, one of the things I want to put towards the folks, and then we'll go down the line here. It's something I'm not saying I'm the only one who suspected this, but does anyone here, and we'll go down the line starting with, you know, Kelly, Suzette, not Kelly, Joseph, uh, Suzette, Kelly, uh, UW, and, and then is, uh, some are, con- are contending that China actually started this pandemic. Not a, They didn't want to start a pandemic. Okay, because supposedly Wuhan is real close to you know a bio um, lab or whatever, right? Where they actually created this coronavirus to call their own population, in which it just it got out of hand. And so, and one of the things here in the United States, why? And I'm not saying other side is kind of far fetched, but I mean some are contending, and I'm not saying this is the case. I'm choosing. <laughs> Oh, this talking and helping, but I mean, what I, they're actually contending is that they're trying to call the herd, so to speak, so that because the uh, healthcare, you know, because the older people, they say, is the biggest drain on the healthcare system, and that supposedly this hits the elderly harder than anyone else, is that you know it's going to make things less costly for. I mean, again, these are just theories, and I think they're wild theories, but I mean, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. They're basically wanting to use the coronavirus as a a population control mechanism. I mean, and we'll go to line. Uh, what what's your thoughts on any of that, uh, Joseph? Still have Joseph on the line. Okay. How about uh, how about Suzette? Uh, my thoughts on uh, what you were just talking about are um, 
yeah, I I um uh, I think that uh, that's precisely what's going on. I think that um this hype that's going on doesn't match up with the numbers. I follow the world meter every day and it says on there, it gives you country by country and also um the fact that it, it talks about eighty percent of the people um that do contract the virus are mild condition. You know, uh, Governor Cuomo today in his statement, I think he blew it when he said it, but he didn't. He said that 80% of the people that take the test are negative, and he even repeated it. I'll say it again, negative. 80% of the people that have tested are negative, but they're basing their numbers on the people that contracted, so that's why they're blowing this whole thing up. And, and I think that it, they do have a um, a, um, a definite... Um, malicious intent at the end of all of it. Um, if, if that's where you were going with it, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, so, anyway. Let's say there, I'm saying there, are, there is talk that people think that, the, you know, they're actually using this as, but China actually wants to use this as a, uh, I'm not saying it's true, but I mean, the, there is talk out there that China is using this as a, you know, a way to uh, control the population or at least, you know, lessen their population. But, and then here in the United States, you know, because they, they say it's tax, the elderly are taxing their healthcare system, then not that we invited it, but maybe they can utilize that. I mean, as I said, these are just, you know, wild theories. I'm not saying they're the case, but I mean, those, those uh, lines of thoughts are out there. Sure. Well, I think um, that also when you look at uh, this group of people, that call themselves Event 201, uh, they talked about this very virus, um, but they didn't say where it was centered at. Uh, it includes Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and, you know, a couple of other corporations, our health ambassador, and they're at this round table and John Hopkins Hospital. And so they talked about this pandemic coming in. It was October, October of last year, and it was just, how interesting it was that they talked about, you know, um, on their page, it's a legitimate page about the population. Hmm. Um, and, you know, as far as uh, the amount of people on this earth and they do believe that, and they talk about it in climate change um, tech context that, uh, you know, by reducing the population, we have a better chance at beating climate change. And it's like, what are you guys talking about? But I can put that link into the chat room and you can visit the page. And they have video of their roundtable um, meeting that they had on October talking about it and also a video about the pandemic that they basically predicted. Um, <laughs> and then it came. Hmm. <laughs> that is interesting. It's not population control. It's depopulation. Well, yeah. Killing off. And Joseph, uh, we still got your line back, uh, out there, bud. Okay, you may, maybe I just step away. Um, uh, Kelly, what's uh, what, what's your thoughts on these possibilities for that? And then I'll get back to the article. Well, your question was um, based on other people's thoughts of. Is China using this for population control in its own country? <coughs> My response. <coughs> Sorry, a lot of coughing. It could be allergies because it just happens to be. Well, it is a cold season, too. I mean, because. Well, yeah, I mean, we have allergies. The plants are blooming. 
And uh, so we're going to get, you know, I have a lady friend and she's got a lot of cough issues because, well, it's that time of the year again with the allergies. Okay. This time using this for population control of its own people. I would propose no. And because, uh, and here's why. If the people figured out, and there's got to be, there's always government leakers. I don't care what government you're in. There's people that think well enough of other people and love other people, they'll be whistleblowers. If the Chinese people realize their government's trying to kill them off, there's going to be a freaking revolution tomorrow. And so, I'm sorry, the Chinese government just can't get away with doing something like that without enough people figuring it out and spreading the word very quickly. So there's that. But I I did want to throw – and by the way, Suzette, your previous thoughts about this conference in October with Bill Gates, George Soros, and a few others. Oh, we've got to bring the population down. There was a TED Talk. You can type it up, Bill Gates' TED Talk, Depopulation. Bill Gates wants to kill a lot of people because we've got to depopulate the world. I've seen the videos. I saw the October 19 conference. The next thing you know, we have the COVID-19 coronavirus. Okay, fine. So, you know, these people, I'm, I'm validating you, Suzette, because that's quite an interesting claim. But yeah, I saw the video too, and I'm like, oh my gosh, just it's like it's like you know in, in London when they had that that subway bomber, they just happened to have you know a bunch of uh, British government agents that were um, what were they doing? Oh, they were having a drill, you know, just a few blocks away. What if somebody bombs the subway? Oh, somebody bombed the subway. Hey, we turned the drill into a real thing. What the heck? This has happened a number of times. Anyway, so. Um, these people, Bill Gates, George Soros, oh, we got to get rid of a whole bunch of people. I've run into people personally who like to say that. I'm like, next time anybody says, oh, we got there's too many people, got to deep, you know what? Bam, you believe that so much? Why don't you be an example for the rest of us and kill yourself? Well, I, 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 then who made you judge of the world to tell who can and who should or should not live or die? You have no business doing this unless you kill yourself. And then we won't have to listen to your stupid opinion anymore. This is nuts. Now, I want to throw out a couple things, okay? Um, I want to throw out a couple things. Um, buy silver. Freaking, if you got extra money, go to your local dealer. Buy silver if they're out of silver. We, we, we reached a record low today. I bought silver today. Thousands. And yesterday, thousands. All right. It's a you want up. thousands? I wish I had thousands to buy. <laughs> well, no, even, even, even if you can buy $500, fine. Great. Borrow from your friend. I don't care. Buy silver. Let me, yeah, I got a friend who's been saying that. Yeah, then I'm going to get into a simple, simple, terribly simple health trick. Okay? Ter- and it's cheap. Terribly cheap. Um, okay, so Friday, you know, I watched the silver market. I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of watching it. My mining partner, he's like, you know, gold can go up 25, 50 bucks, but silver moves 20 cents, 25 cents. Do you notice the percentage change? I started docking. Oh, my gosh. Silver is more volatile and has greater gains. In 2013, silver was at $48 an ounce. 1978, silver was around – it was in the 70s. In the 70s – Silver peaked at like around seventy-two dollars an ounce. When you adjust it for inflation to today at three and a quarter percent, 
over 42 years, that high in the late 70s was $275 an ounce. Dude. And we're at, we went under $12. I woke up this morning. Oh, my gosh. Silver went under 12 Okay. So it's been hanging. This is just an interesting bazaar. I can't explain it. Okay. So silver in the last several months is 17, 18, 17, 18, down 16. Okay. Up to 17 again, 17, 18. Last year it dipped the lowest of $15 an ounce. Friday it dropped to 1480. I'm like, what the heck? What's going on with silver? 1480 Friday. Hmm. Monday, 1360. Tuesday, 12 and a half. Today is Wednesday, 1190. What is going on here? So take some money, go rush up to Medford, try to buy silver. On Tuesday, I had a meeting with a contractor. In the morning, I knew there would be a rush at the, the local silver store. And you can buy these rounds. What are the rounds? They look like a coin. They're one ounce, 0 0.999 pure silver. Triple nine, one ounce, triple nine. They're called rounds. They look like coins. They got ridges. Okay, fine. They look like a coin. You can buy them. You can sell them at spot price. I've done it. I've sold silver. It's 35 bucks an ounce. All right. Again, 2013, they wanted the 48 bucks an ounce. So I'm like, okay, oh my gosh. It's like, da, 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 I got to get up there and I got to buy a bunch of silver. So I get up there an hour late because I had a meeting with a contractor on a project. Okay, fine. I got an hour late because they ran out. This is Medford, Oregon, just right over the California Oregon border. They sold 8,000 rounds an ounce apiece. $120,000 of silver was sold between 9.30 when they opened to 1 o'clock. <laughs> As in, I'm not the only one that gets this idea. So I go to other gold and silver dealers. One guy rations. Okay, great. I got 50 rounds. Fine. I went to another one. Uh, we'll lock in your price. Oh, really? You're going to lock in my price? What I buy today. So I bought today, and they had over 100 customers. And they were stressed. So today I wow. bought some more. They had almost as much buy silver if you can. Okay, I've seen it at forty-eight, record high. Just for inflation, two seventy-five. If you have any extra money, go buy or put an order in, which might take two to four, maybe as much as six weeks. Buy silver. Everybody All that right. thinks this is the reset is doing that. Is buying silver, silver, gold, platinum. Because it's going to be okay on the other side, but your money will be toilet paper. Or will your toilet paper be money? Right now, toilet paper is money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's only if you get the flu, will it be worth anything, you know, because you'll have to need it. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, I found but... a few posts that give you an idea of what they talk about. This post was from February 24th. Um, so, Q post, um, let's see, fired force FBI, question mark, fired force DOJ, question mark, fired force state, uh, same, I'll just say FF Senate, FF Congress, FFCA, FFDOD, question mark, these all have question marks after them, um, hired install SC, question mark, hired install federal judiciary, question mark, hired install DOJ, hired install CA, locked and loaded, Q. Listen carefully. Think regarding why no arrests, justice yet. Justice is in parentheses. Uh, what if, parentheses, almost every critical position senior within the U.S. government apparatus was infiltrated? Question mark. What must be done first? Question mark. The swamp runs deep. 
uh, asterisk sleepers, backgrounds are important, Muslim Brotherhood, list of the news, nouns, names in parentheses with known ties to Islam. This is not another four-year election. And uh, brackets, assumptions, correct. Package well, record known, a record known, Q. So those are the breadcrumbs. So now you've got to figure out, you know, what, what's going on right there that will prove what's going on or, or what's to come. Um, and so that's that. But um, getting back to the, um, the event scenario, 201 scenario, event simulates an outbreak of a novel zoonotic coronavirus transmitted from bats to pigs to people that eventually becomes efficiently transmissible from person to person, leading to a severe pandemic. If the pathogen and the disease it causes are modeled largely on SARS, but it is more, transmiss more transmissible in the community setting by people with mild symptoms. The disease starts in pig farms in Brazil quietly and slowly at first, but then it starts to spread more rapidly in healthcare settings. When it starts to spread efficiently from person to person in the low-income, densely packed neighborhoods of some of the megacities in South America, the epidemic explodes. It is first exported by travel, air travel to Portugal, the United States, and China, and then to many other countries. Although at first some countries are able to control it, it continues to spread and to reintroduce and eventually, uh, no country can maintain or control it. Um, there's no possibility of a vaccine being available in the first year. There's a fictional antiviral drug that can help to stick but not significantly limit the spread of the disease. Since the whole human population is susceptible during the initial months of the pandemic, the cumulative number of cases increasingly exponentially double, doubling every week. And as the cases and the deaths accumulate, the economic and societal consequences become increasingly severe. Last paragraph. The scenario ends at the 18-month point with 65 million deaths. The pandemic is beginning to slow due to the decreasing number of susceptible people. The pandemic will continue at some rate until there is an effective vaccine or until 80 to 90 percent of the global population has been exposed. Uh, from that point on, it is likely to be an endemic childhood disease. And that is on the page. I'll post that in your chat room, too. A childhood, a childhood disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, that's the thing I that, but see, that's the thing I don't understand is that now SARS and that they um. They, can you text those links to me? Because in the chat, that'll eventually disappear. If you can text those to me, that'd be great. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, because I mean, this thing. I mean, how are they going to make it where this becomes a a childhood disease when we've got uh, it's affecting the elderly. I mean, that's what that seems to be the most susceptible unless you have any type of underlying respiratory issues. Not yet developed immune systems. This thing's taking out the weak, the very young, the very old, and the immunocompromised. Why? Well, I mean, and I'm not saying there is, but I'm just saying I haven't heard anything where any kids have died from this yet. I'm not, not that I wanted to. Don't get me wrong, but I mean I haven't heard anything like that. There well, was a 30-day-old infant that died of it, and then there was a 15-day-old infant that fought it off. Hmm. Well, let me throw this out to you about viruses and bacteria. Actually, I had a microbiology course in grad school. And, you know, you've heard of antibodies, but you've also – there's antigens. Hold up your ha hand and spread your fingers wide. A virus or a bacteria has a defense. 
Well, your white blood cells typically just surround, eat up the virus, eat up the bacteria. It's over. Okay, your immune system takes over. But your body has to produce antigens that fill in the gaps between your fingers so that the white blood cells can surround the virus or the bacteria. Okay, now what's nice about vaccines, you know, forget the uh, things they throw in like ethylene glycol, which is radiator fluid, which causes central nervous system, and mercury, which causes central nervous central nervous system damage. But just what they do, Louis Pasteur viruses, you weaken it. You weaken the virus somehow, and then your body can quickly produce the antigens, antibodies in your white blood cells, and then there you go. You have viruses in your life that you had since you're like five years old, but your body maintains it, and this is a no-brainer. We'll just surround it, boom, surround it, capture it, it's over. So you have viruses in your five, six, once you have a virus, you have it for life. And it's either a battle, either you can't produce the antigens, the antibodies, and the virus initially you die, or your body captures it, maintains it, you're good. Now the whole global population, once you, it's a bell curve. So it's a hockey stick at the very beginning. Human bodies are getting used to it. They're overcoming it, and you have a bell, like a bell curve at the very top. It levels off. China is starting to level off, by the way. So it levels off, and then... The population gets used to it. It's done. It's over. It's maintained in everybody's body. So that's an interesting thing. Now, you look at the swine flu class. They call it also the Spanish flu in World War One. More soldiers died from the Spanish flu than combat, both sides. In fact, the swine flu took over so bad in Europe that the German people – they couldn't build the war machine anymore. They had to sue for peace. That was the real cause of the end of World War I. And so the soldiers go home. But the second strain came. Why? Because they're in trenches. What are they doing in the trenches? Well, they're doing their duty. They're cold. They're wet. They're soggy. They're, they're in trenches that are, that are wet. They had trench foot. They had um, their bodies weakened so that a second strain, it was the second strain of the Spanish flu, and that's why 30 million people died worldwide. But then it disappeared like in the mid-20s. It's just gone because population, their bodies got used to the system, and that was the end of it. But you had different responses. The soldiers came back from the war. Philadelphia was chronic. The city um, – this is why it's not going to be so bad in America. But in Philadelphia, people were dying right and left and left and right, and the city council was in total denial. All the officials were in denial, so it, it spread infection. They were they were digging with a steam shovel, uh, mass graves. They were just throwing people in the mass graves. Now you go to the West Coast. San Francisco had an emergency plan. Why did they have an emergency plan? Because of the 1906 earthquake. They realized, you know what, we could have another earthquake. This, that, whatever. We got to get an emergency plan together. So they had an emergency plan, and San Francisco did very well. Because they immediately they accepted this is happening, they isolated people, put them in quarantine, and San Francisco did very well. They didn't have mass graves in San Francisco. That's what we're doing right now as a nation. So we're quarantined, self-quarantine. It's not going to hit America like it did China. China, they were in denial, 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 and then they're welding, they're welding apartment complexes. They're, I saw the videos. They're they're taking the door. Ground floor door, steel, and they're welding it shut to keep all the people in the apartment complex. It was like a 
10, 12 story building apartment complex. And then you're yeah, just like, crazy. you people stay in here. You're not, don't spread it. That's how they handle it. We're handling it much better. And we have hand washing and soap and we disinfect it and we can shower every day. We're minimizing contact. We're going to do a lot better than China, but we still have the hockey stick curve until America, until people's bodies come in each individual, the virus. Now, I want to give you a little tip. A $3 tip costs you $3. Okay? <laughs> okay, it costs you $3. Go to the store tomorrow. Get oregano. You can buy raw oregano. As in, you know, I like to cook with oregano. Throw some basil, throw some thyme, throw some oregano in your spaghetti sauce. You can eat the oregano leaves. It has an organic compound. A doctor discovered it. It's called Carbacrol. Carbacrol boosts your immune system, so your immune system can handle both viruses and bacteria. I've done this a number of times with myself. I've seen it with others, local homeless guy at the homeless shelter. He's coughing on like people up. Here's, here you go, three bucks. Here's, here's a package of oregano. Eat the leaves. I caught up with him five days later. He's like, how you doing? Oh, that's amazing. Another homeless guy. Says, yeah, that oregano is amazing. Three dollars. So. I had an affected tooth, my lower, uh, my lower row of teeth. And one doctor said, "Oh my gosh, it's infected. X-ray everything. Oh, you got we pull it right now." Uh, I think I want to keep my tooth. I went home, did a bunch of health tricks, oregano oil, grapefruit seed extract, other things. Guess what? I kept my tooth. I still have my tooth. Okay, so about a year later, my upper, my upper tooth was just going insane with uh, some kind of infection. That's what causes your pain is the infection. The bacteria or virus is attacking the nerves. You're screaming in pain. You bite down on the barrier. You scream. It hurts so bad. Okay, I just go, let's get a prescription. Let's get some painkiller. Let's get something, something antibiotic. Can't get a prescription unless I see the dentist. Okay, shoot. It's after five. They have concentrated oregano. Health food stores, concentrated. You can buy oregano concentrated. And I've seen over and over and over, you know, here, a few drops, drink this. And they're fine. And they, 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 they pull out of it so much faster. They're amazed. What is this stuff? It's oregano. Oregano. Okay, so I have this infected tooth. What do I do? Okay, uh, I can't get the concentrate. I'll go to, go to the uh, Rayleigh's grocery store. I grab the oregano. I chew the leaves. Within four hours, the pain was gone. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm waiting for the doctor to drill my tooth. This might be a root canal. I don't know. People are like, dude, you got to take care of that root canal. People die from that. Okay, fine. I got an appointment. That's the best I can do. I got to wait three, four days to get in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first time within four hours, the pain was gone. Over the next three days till I got in, three times, it got up so sore again. I'm about ready to scream. I just bite down. The oregano leaves within an hour, three times. The first time took four hours. Second, third, and fourth time, eating oregano leaves. Within an hour, the pain was gone. This is how powerful. It's a simple thing, oregano leaves. I've Ooh. actually got some. I gave some to people today. Just eat that stuff. You just chew some leaves. And, and I'm, I, I might actually go buy, the, buy a pack of art if I could find them. But, hey, Joseph is back, so I don't want to bring, uh, I don't want to bring him back in the show. We only have about, um, about eight minutes before I have to close things out. So let's go and bring uh, Joseph back in. Thank you, Joseph. It's good to hear back from you. Go ahead. 
I'm so sorry about that. I'm I'm dealing with, uh, you know, reaching out to family in the mainland because uh, it's getting late out there, East Coast time, um, you know, letting them know what happened to me today. And um, so I do apologize for uh, uh, not letting you know that I was going to leave the show uh, for the second time. So you've probably called my name, but I was hoping you would see that it was still on hold. Uh, I'll just be really quick because I know you're going to wrap up the show. Um, but, um, you know, once again, like, like I said, you know, we, uh, we all think differently and, uh, we all go, uh, our thought process is different based off of, uh, uh, you know, uh, how we, uh, articulate facts or how we interpret facts, um, or express them. Uh, and I'm, I'm still going to stay with what I truly believe in to my heart and my soul. And that's, that this is. The the Dems last hail mary. Uh, they want to oh, I do agree the economy. That. <laughs> exactly, um, and it's it's not going to work. Um, once again, um, you know, impeachment that didn't work. I mean, they've uh, you know, the the moment he was in, uh, 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 inaugurated, um, they said it was the Russian collusion. So it's 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 one thing after another, and you know what? The American people are tired of it. I think most people are tired of it. Of course, you're not going to hear that spin from the mainstream uh, media. They're going to portray it as no, the opposite. Everyone is against Trump, and that's not the case. You know, people are tired of it. they you know, we we just we want our lives to go on. Uh, we want this country to move forward, even if we don't agree with each other on, on every issue. Uh, we all should be hoping for the best for, for Americans. And instead, um, we're more divided than ever in the history of this country. And so, yep. you know, it's time yep. for Americans to pull together. And, uh, you know, um, let's just look towards 2020. Let's uh, hope for the best and uh, stay positive. Uh, but at the same time, let's stay on defense and let's make sure we don't make the same mistake Hillary made, which was thinking that she had it in the bag and let down her guard. Uh, us Trump supporters have to stick together and we got to fight for our principles and we got to fight to get them reelected because nothing, nothing should be taken for granted. No stone should be unturned. And um, I'll leave you with one more thing. If the Democratic Party of today is willing to hurt these many American people and put their country in danger over their ideology. And they have proven that their ideology is first and foremost instead of America and Americans being first and foremost, then even more reason why more Americans need to rally around Donald Trump. Because this is the same mentality that the Nazis had in world before World War II. This is the same sycophant of delirium that Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini and his fascist regime in in Italy uh, had. And unfortunately, the Democratic Party is very close teetering in that area. And we need to eliminate that. And the only way we do that is we finally stand up and say, enough is enough. We're not taking it anymore. We're tired of always having to be the ones to be censored, to be demeaned, to be attacked. It's, it's time that we do what the progressive base do so well. It's to actually stand up and make our voice be heard. 
And I'll defer back to you, but that's one of our weaknesses is that we are not like progressives. We're not willing to go to their lengths to get our voices heard. And it's about time we start doing it because if we don't, they are going to win the war. They are going to win the battle if we don't start rising up even more stronger than they are and say, you know what, Antifa, Black Panthers, you know what, the hell with you. We're making our own movements. We're making our own groups. Wait, we're fighting to protect our rights. You're trying to, to uh, uh, destroy our rights. We're, we're tired of being jumped in the streets if we're wearing America, uh, uh, made America great again hat. We're tired of being terrorized. We're tired of being censored. We're tired of being called homophobes, xenophobes, racists. It's about time we grow a pair and we start going out there and we start taking a page out of their playbooks. And I will leave it at that as my closing statements. And I defer back to you, Robert. Well, I agree with practically, if not all, what you said there. I I, I do. And I've been, you know, I do. I, I mean, I agree. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we do need to do something. I mean, you see them go mass out into the streets. I mean, I think, we, you know, we need to have people in masks going out. Well, here's another thing, and they were, the rallies, and then people are like, oh, my gosh, Trump. I mean, they were even so hypo- uh, hypocritical to say that um, it was it, it was bullshit. Excuse my French, but they're like, oh, well, Trump shouldn't have rallies, and, and then not ask, well, what, you know, well, what about, uh, you know, Bernie and, and Biden? Oh, but they're having rallies because they're running for an election. He's just running it. He just He's just having rallies for his ego. It's like whatever, you know. It's 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 ridiculous. So you know, but before they shut it all down, it it was it wasn't okay because there really wasn't a purpose for for Trump to have a rally. But there was this purpose for, you know, Bernie and Biden and them to have rallies. So it was okay. Uh, but I do see. Yeah, we. Eh, I don't even know if we have much closing comments. Not even quite um, a minute per person. So uh, maybe about thirty seconds or so. So we'll. Uh, uh, do it this way for you, Suzette, Kelly, and then Debbie. Thank everyone for coming to the show. Appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, seeing you guys next time or next week. But let's, and Thank we, you we very will, much. Uh, uh, so, yeah, let's give a, just closing comments again. It's only going to be about 30 seconds, but then I have to do that. Uh, start with who? Yeah, go ahead, uh, Suzette, Kelly, and then uh, Debbie, and then I have to close things up. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, great uh, discussion tonight. A lot of information, a lot of ideas, um, turn around, a lot of possibilities. That's good. It's uh, it's good to hear. Um, I just say, um, you know, stay calm and um, and just be aware. That's it. Uh, thank you, Robert, for having the show. And uh, I'll be sure to be at the LaRouche Pack uh, meeting tomorrow at nine. Well, six o'clock my time. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, definitely. And again, that number is area code. Write it down, folks. Seven one two. Seven seven zero five five zero five, and the access code is five three six 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 two, and the pound sign. And there is actually a backup number, uh, and that backup number is area code four two five five three five nine one one three. That's the backup uh, number. Probably won't have to use it. I mean, I didn't have to, but it's, it's on there. And, again, that's at 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific. Uh, but, yeah, go ahead, um, go ahead, Kelly, and then Debbie, and then I'll have to close things out. It's got about 30 Okay, seconds. so I, to- I told you the report about silver, <laughs> 8,000 rounds, 120,000 between 930 and 1. Something is strange, really strange going on economically. When 
The stock market tanked, silver and gold skyrocket. They did the opposite. This is weird. Okay, mm-hmm. something's going on. So that's they're why mentioning that today on the show. I was listening to. Yeah, so uh, Debbie's idea. I'm open to listening more. I want to find out more and more details. All right, that's another show. Um, so yeah, oregano. Eat some leaves. Cost you three bucks. The coronavirus first attacks your immune system. That's where oregano comes in. Okay, so I'm trying to help people here. But we shall see. We shall see what the future holds. We shall see. We shall see. We shall see. Communication is good. I love your show, Robert. I've only done this, but how many years? Since like 2000. Seven years. You can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Seven, eight. All right. Yep, well, it'll, be, it'll be eight to... this June. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to everybody's opinions next time, so I'll turn it back to you. Okay, Debbie, uh, real quick, then I'll close things out. It'll be a, a quick closeout. Uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to hear all of our closing song, but we'll get a little notes of it. But go ahead, uh, Debbie. I just want to say that I agree. We've got to rally around Trump to get him back in there. But we also need to start voting thirds because these Republicans that we're sending up there is just filling the swamp up, and he can't, he can't get anything done with everybody working against him, his own people that are supposed to be rallying around him as well as he tries to get things done. Um, I think the entire Congress has been hijacked by the megacorps and the people that have been trying to bring about globalization. They're getting paid to do all these things that are not in our best interests. And he wanted to drain the swamp, but he can't drain the swamp of people we elect. That's just senators and representatives. So we've got to start watching. You know, it's bad that the Democrats do this stuff right out in the open, but it's bad that the Republicans do it behind our backs quietly. Worse, actually. We've got to start sending some people up there that he can work with. Well, I, I know exactly that's why how we do that. Well, and that's why you know when some of the people I was I was kind of disappointed in some of the people he endorsed during some of the primaries because um, I mean they definitely were establishment candidates. But anyway, no, I appreciate it, Debbie. I'm looking forward to your report uh, in a week or two. Uh, you know about what we discussed tonight. <laughs> really want to I definitely want to hear more about that. So we'll close tonight as I do every night. Won't be actually. You know what? I don't even think we're gonna have much time due to the song. Cause I literally have less than a minute here, so I won't even. Uh, play it tonight, but I want to thank everyone. Looking forward to next week. Everyone, the next week, uh, be safe. Uh, we will have a show uh, next week, um, and then we'll see what type of guest, or we'll, you know, maybe we even have the topics. Uh, I'll see you tonight, Debbie. Uh, but we are. It is going to get ready to shut us down automatically in less than 30 seconds. So wish everyone well. Uh, take care, and we will uh, see you next week. Good night. God bless you all. Good night. Good night. Good night.